Give me a fucking mic. Uh-oh. Here you go. Hello there, Paul Scrivens. Hello, Paul. It's your birthday soon, probably before we record another episode. Yeah. yeah. So we contacted our good friend, Chris Pilkington, who contacted... His good friend. Scott Steiner. Mm. And he has something to say to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, mate. You know, they say all men are created equal, but you look at me and you look at... Paul Scrivens. You see that statement, it's not true. See, normally... Gravitational field strength on Earth, it's actually just vary where you are depending on the Earth. But I'm a genetic freak, and I'm not normal, so you got... It's about 9.81, 10 if you want to do a rough calculation. Chance of winning, but I, I got a 66 and two-thirds chance of winning. Paul Scrivens. knows he can't beat me, and he's not even going to try. Two thousand, two thousand six hundred and four. And a third chance, minus... 177 kilos. You got an eight and a third chance of winning at sacrifice. But then you take my... 1.5 metres. And then at... Five feet. I got a hundred and forty-one and two-thirds chance of winning at sacrifice. Numbers don't lie. And they spell disaster for you. Paul Scrivens. At sacrifice. You know and I know that you only... I don't get that reference. No. Well, I'm leaving the rat race and heading for the country. Gonna buy a Chevy pickup with a Benzie for my honey. Drive on down to Nashville, listen to my radio. Come on, baby, gonna head out to the dance hall, make a little noise. Gonna crank up the band, make some music with the boys. And Double J is gonna be singing for his baby tonight. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the New Generation Project podcast, where we honour the heroes of Hulkamania and analyse the architects of attitude in looking at the dark ages of the WWF, the mid-90s. Today we look at the final show in the epic Diesel Sid trilogy, It's In Your House too. My name is Stuart Brooks and I'm joined today by my very own New Age Outlaws. It's the road dog, Paul Scrivens. Woof. And Mr. Ass, Adam Wikes. Hello. You pleased with that one? I don't really like Billy Gunn, but there's... Yeah, yeah. There's, there's legitimacy in the yes, name. Yes, yes, there is. Yeah, I think I think the road dog's particularly pertinent for me. He looks a bit like a dog. <laughs> just just give him something later on. Okay. Oh, okay. How are you both doing today? Uh, pretty good, thanks. Paul, all right. Yourself? Great. Yeah, yeah. Not too bad, really. Not good, too good, bad. Good. How are we feeling about the closure of Power Slam? Good news this past week. Bemused. But I think that my perception of how Power Slam's doing is rated basically on you and how often you <laughs> buy it. So I think it's doing very well. when they... it has a 100% purchase yes, rate each well, month. Well, when possibly it's not. But I can't see how it wouldn't be doing very well because it's a very good magazine. You think it's all right because it's always available in your house. <laughs> yeah. Without you having to buy it. All the time. It's always there. Every month. Yeah. It's so a... I'm, I'm sad to see it go because it's actually very, very good. Shall I just blame the internet? 
Well, I guess in the age of digital consumption of things, that's a distinct possibility that just over the years, readership has declined. The other point I'd kind of put towards it is the increasing quality of an FSM. I remember a few years ago, that was not very good at all. But then I think they relaunched it just after WrestleMania 28. And there was a very sudden upturn in quality. And it has been very good the past couple of years. So I kind of wonder if that impacted on it in any way. Is there a digital version of Power Slam? Yeah, yeah. Is is, is, is that shutting as well? Yeah, everything's gone. From reading what Finn Martin said a few days ago, he's writing an e-book based on wrestling in the Power Slam year. So that might be quite interesting. Yeah, that would be quite good. Later in the year. Yeah. So, for this episode, gentlemen, I've asked you to come up with your top five favourite WWF slash WWE themes, sticking with the sort of musical theme of this pay-per-view. How did we find this as a task? Hard? Easy? At first, I thought this was going to be easy. Turned out to be very, very difficult. Well, I thought I'd set a limit on it, as if we start just reeling off theme tunes we like, it would be an hour and three quarters of us just going, oh yeah, you remember? Oh yeah, that one's really good. Yeah, yeah. So, I thought I'd place a tight restriction on it so who's going first i'll go first um i very much went with something where it just has a connection with me one of the things that i do like in wrestling theme tune is some kind of connection with a gimmick no matter how tenuous and admittedly sometimes this comes kind of after i've got to know a character but it's just something that has that association for me and then just want to look back so you mean like Mantar mooing in his music, that tells you something about his character. Spectacular. Don, you got my number one. No, you didn't really. <laughs> most of mine is centred, well, mine is kind of centred around the Attitude Era because that's what I know most of all. So kind of my top five, although I have others that I like, but my top five are Kurt Angle. It's just yep. classic. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things that just sticks in your head. Austin, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, something that's so recognisable within, you know, a fraction of a second has, has got to be... Right oh, that, that's a great quality in a theme tune as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that instant yeah. sort of, you've worked out who it is as soon as it hits. Yeah, yeah. and because and, it always helps the pop. Yeah. One of the reasons that I think Austin got always got such a good pop, I mean, obviously it was a fantastic uh, character, but just it was just right. Everybody knows where they should respond and have their, have their little bit of emotion. Um, Undertaker. Yeah. Classic. And mm, a, a kind yeah. of... Which version? The fir- like the, the earliest versions. For, for me, it's quite interesting... I'm more familiar with this later version, but his earliest of obviously we're not talking about American badass. No, I didn't think you were saying um, Limp Bizkit. No, I wasn't, that, that wasn't <laughs> where I was going. But um, the very first, where it's kind of the music, is almost sounds a little bit jilted right. um, in place. So are you just talking kind of the era we're discussing now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's kind yeah, of yeah. very much um, what I'm after. HBK, sexy boy. He's just for me again, instantly recognisable, fantastic theme, and it tells you he's a sexy boy. It, it tells me it tells me he's cocky, right? Okay, that, that's that's it for me. You, you kind of you got you got him straight away. Yeah, um, the fact he's singing his own theme tune. Yeah, yeah, that's mildly arrogant. Yeah, <laughs> but I think the lyrics are slightly arrogant as well. Yeah, in places. Uh, one thing I always wondered is he thinks he's cute, but he knows he's sexy. What's going on there? Well, there's slightly different qualities. Maybe maybe it's a bit too rugged just to be cute. Right, so he's only speculating that he's cute, but the qualities he feels he has definitely makes him sexy. Odd, yeah. Okay, yeah, that, um, that works that, for me. That makes sense. Yeah. I've not thought about it a lot. But my, my other one, I was really umming and erring uh, with this last spot, because you made me keep it to five. Vince or Shane, I love okay. both of the musics, but um, no chance. Perfect for Vince. Great, it is a great, great song. Yeah. Did you have some honourable mentions you just wanted to quickly run through? Yeah, I, had a couple, I do like the, the game Triple H one. Again, 
pretty instantly recognisable. I, I kind of quite like the lyrics. I think it goes well with his character. I like Sid's theme. That's something that I've noticed. Kind of fits his character very well. Obviously, um, Living Colour. Yep, CM, CM Punk. Punk is fantastic. Perhaps a little bit of a controversial one because it's not really technically music, I don't think, but it's a theme. You're going to say right to censor, right to censor. Yeah, but well, no, it does have a jazzy baseline underneath. It does because it. it starts off as that horrible. I am denied about this one. It starts off as that horrible noise, and then kind of a beat. If you listen, keep listening to it. Co- crops in it does kind of become a theme. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Particularly... Apparently, it's like several different alarms as well, just laid over one another. I think it's all of the different alarms. All of the different <laughs> it's, alarms. It's the most possible. offensive sound in the world. But again, in terms of summing up a group. And, you know, you've got them right on, I don't like these guys, that's it. Oh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, instant. It's, it's yeah. perfect. Well, my old housemate, actually, when he when he heard that when I was showing him some attitude, it was to change his alarm tone to the right to censor theme. <laughs> to annoy everyone. <laughs> what I a think, way to wake I up. I think he only kept it for a few days because it scared the shit out of him every time it like, went off. <laughs> it's a very unpleasant noise to wake up to, apparently. Yeah, oh, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah you go next. I'm, I'm interested to see what you're going to say. It was hard, this. I thought, yeah, five, yeah, fair enough, I'll do that. But then you think of five, and then you think of another one, and another, and another. And then you end up reshuffling and reshuffling. And I imagined that you, Stuart, had loads more trouble with I this. Had than, than I had sleepless nights over yeah, this. Um, but, but yeah, I, I had a bit of a problem. But I whittled it down, and Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, you know, I thought that would be one of your picks. I, it's just amazing. I think they made the point on that self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior thing, isn't someone talking the, the, about the The theme's Warriors. actually a big part of... Yeah, yeah and, and like you were saying, where something's instantly recognisable, that opening Riff. chord of I, it... I don't know what it's like. Just, you don't know the Ultimate... Oh, no. Well, maybe we'll put it in. Uh, really, really good. Ken Shamrock. Yeah, I really love Ken Shamrock. He's one of my honourable mentions. And I, I think I think it's the there's like a bell sound in there. I think yeah. that kind of makes it kind of lifts it a little bit. Really good. One that you'll hate, Paul. Razor Ramon. Yeah, I fucking love Razor Ramon's music. I, I still can't believe you don't like that theme. It's... I really, and I think it is because you left it in my car. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, I don't because he's so over in all of the stuff that we're watching. You don't I hear do, his theme. You don't hear his theme particularly well. It doesn't. It doesn't like scream through. I love this sort of like the mixed up drum beat at the start, and again, it's just so the, fitting for the character. Yeah, and then, and then you know you get a little bit of a build, and then the synths come in. It's really, really nice. It's one that's a bit out of left field, maybe Gangrel. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Gangrel's yeah. music it really works with with that character. It's dark and sinister. Isn't there a sort of chugging riff going on in that? Yeah, as well? Yeah, and there's kind of like these weird. Oh, is, are they kind of wild or flanged chords going on every now and again? It's uh, You'd really, know more really about nice. That, yeah. Me. And uh, and finally, Mr. Ass. <laughs> um, and and this is because... Get I, out. I, 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 I think of all the themes that they've ever had, if a theme could have a haircut, Mr. Ass's theme would have a mullet. Okay. And it's got the most mulleted solo to sort of come into it. And the lyrics are bloody stupid. The lyrics make no sense at all. It, it kind of sounds think... like Sammy Hagar's singing it as well. I quite like that. Sexy Boy has definitely got a mulleted solo. It has, but I don't think it's as much as Mr. Ass's. Would the Ultimate Warrior theme not have a mullet as well? Probably. Okay. But I'm just not sure it's going to be of the same sort of quality as the Mr. Ass one. Um, I'll put in honourable mentions, but I was gutted to have to throw out the primetime players one because I oh, really like that. personal favourite there. Yeah, yeah. personal favourite. That is actually, that genuinely, that is catchy. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. I also had Kurt Angle... Taz, I had a soft spot for Taz's. Entrance. Yeah, yeah, quite like that. And uh, Bischoff. Yeah, well, it's just a rip-off of Back in it Black, is, but, isn't it? But yeah. it's so good. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's my, uh, my sum-up. Stuart? 
Well, I'm just going to quickly run through my honourable mentions first before I do my top five. Here we go. Honourable mentions. Bertha Faye, Shawn Michaels, Bray Wyatt, CM Punk, Ken Shamrock, Stone Cold, Mankind's Piano Exit, <laughs> The Shield, which feels like a proper old school theme yeah, rather than yeah. a song for a superstar, Primetime Players, Mr. Perfect, Brock Lesnar, The Rockers, The Mountie, The Quebecers, The Big Boss Man, Hakushi, Chris Jericho and Owen Hart. We forgot the Quebecers. That, that small, awesome. small list there. Small list there. Yeah. And I think it got to a point where I just stopped looking at themes because I knew I was just going to keep bringing them up. Yeah. yeah. But okay, top five in reverse order because I have ordered it. Okay. Hulk Hogan. One fair, that's just fair not enough. been mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I'm not a massive fan of him as someone to watch, but there's no denying that theme is fucking awesome. And yeah, its no, accompanying music video is particularly special. Yes, with him playing guitar in front of the flag. Yeah. Number four, the Honky Tonk Man. Very, very good. Cool, cocky, bad. Again, I don't really know it. That's really good. A lot of mine, unfortunately, Paul, may fall slightly before your time, but yeah, I'm pretty sure I'd put it on that CD that's left in your car. He starts I, singing it in that Royal Rumble in 2001. Oh, well, 2001. I've probably heard it, but like, I'm, I'm bad with songs because I listen to about the first eight seconds, and if, I, if I'm not instantly hooked, I, I skip it. Skip it. <laughs> yeah. Number three is Bret Hart's, and that might yeah. just be more of a sort of childhood association. Obviously, Bret being one of my childhood favourites, and, and I generally think it's quite a good theme. It is really good, yeah. I like Owens as well. Yeah, yeah, that, that is really good. Number two, Demolition. Again, yeah. that would have a mullet yeah, if, yeah, if very, that song had good. a haircut. Yeah. Again, that was more of a song than a theme. So I'm kind of going back on myself in saying I kind yeah. of prefer themes to songs. But yeah, it was a cool song and it actually mentioned them by name. And it, it talks about them. Yeah, yeah it talks yeah. about how their middle names are pain and destruction. Oh, can I, can I guess enough. what your top one is? Is it the Steiners one? No, it's not. Oh, okay. Was that a genuine guess? Yeah. Number one is Slick. Mm. Jive Soul Bro. That's yeah, definitely yeah. on the CD in your car, Paul. So you should give that a listen. Slightly racist video. Maybe. I think that's one of the ones, though, that you could probably see being released as a single. Yeah. Because it's like it sounds more like a proper song, I think. That one. We should definitely get you to do a rendition of it sometime, Paul. And you can sing about the figure four. It's quite good. Okay. So for you guys this episode, and again, keeping with the musical-themed pay-per-view, Jeff Jarrett's performance of With My Baby Tonight, we asked you, the audience, to come up with some other musical performances by WWE superstars, so songs that could have been covered by WWF superstars. The following are our favourite suggestions. The Big Boss Man, The Disciples of Apocalypse, Tatonka, Men at Work and Captain Mike Rotunda performing YMCA. That works. <laughs> Bob Sparkplug Holly singing The Rolling Stones' Start Me Up. King Mabel singing the fast food song. That that works. Stu Hart singing Welcome to the Jungle, but slightly changing it to Welcome to the Dungeon. Mm. Genius, I really like Welcome to the Jungle. I was actually, after that, I read that suggestion, I was singing that in my head last night, yeah. Two for Yokozuna we've got here. Weird Al's Eat It. Yeah. And The Vapors Turning Japanese. Yeah? Yes, very apt. Mr. Ass singing Brown Eyed Girl. (laughs) Do, Do you get that one, Paul? Yeah, but I don't like it. <laughs> no, not necessarily as you say, just a thought. Emma singing Smooth Criminal. Genius. That, that did tickle me. Pertinent as well. Lex Luger singing Man in the Mirror. Oh, from the Narcissist yeah. days. Yeah, yeah, from the Narcissist days. Although my note here is I perhaps would have suggested I Touch Myself by the Divinals in reference to his consistent pants just yeah. 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 Nicole Bass singing the Bee Gees More Than a Woman. Do you know Nicole Bass? Ish. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Google her. <laughs> Jerry Lawler singing Moose Tea's Horny. (laughs) That would be very, very upsetting. Yeah. Art Donovan singing No Doubts Don't Speak. 
Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Disco 2000 by Techno Team 2000. That works. That just made me chuckle, that one. Or Millennium by Robbie Williams. Yeah. Bob Backlund singing James Brown's Living in America or Born in the USA. Yeah, yeah. Being a big Bruce Springsteen fan, I would pay good money to hear Bob Backlund sing that song. <laughs> It'd be great. Karma. Karma Chameleon. Yeah. Yeah. There is a Raw early in 95 where Shawn Michaels is doing commentary and Vince speculates about Karma's debut and Shawn Michaels does start singing Karma Chameleon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you saw that. Henry Godwin, I've got a brand new combine harvester. <laughs> Earl Hebner singing the Manic Street Preachers, Everything Must Go. Love it. <laughs> yeah, genius. The entire million dollar corporation singing Loser by Beck. Mm, that would work, yeah. Very apt considering their record. This one's a bit of a sad one, really. The Undertaker singing One is the Loneliest Number. <laughs> Yeah, mm. yeah, that is a bit sad. I've just got an image in my head of him sat listening to it at home, crying. Crying, yeah. Oh, Michelle McCall licks his tears. Well, <laughs> but, but, but Paul Hamer would probably put a different spin on the song. Yeah. He would do the one and only, perhaps. Yeah. 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 I, I do love that. I did see Chesney Hawks live once. It, it was marvellous. Yeah. He, he's the one and only. IRS, The Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Slayer's Raining Blood, performed by The Brood. Yeah. You had that for Ric Flair. Yeah, because, yeah. well, the one thing I remember about Ric Flair in his last sort of like run when he was wrestling in the WWF was that he just bled in every match. Yeah, that's standard. Yeah. If you watched any TNA, he bled all the time as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I avoided TNA. The big boss man, how much is that doggy in the window? I, I do like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bo Dallas, don't stop Bo leaving. Brilliant. Mm. I'm amazed they haven't done something with him and that yet. They Surely they have to. But but I'm, all, I'm also thinking, this would be a good album. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. We've got a nursery rhyme here, and it goes a little bit something like, Old McMahon had a promotion, E-I-E-I-O, and in that promotion he had a mantar. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like yeah, that very yeah. much. You could probably do a lot of verses for that. Yeah. yeah. He had a bulldog, he had a snake. <laughs> Rob Van Dam and Jack Swagger doing Afro Man's Because I Got Hard. Battle Cat. <laughs> Sid, everybody wants to rule the world. Again, I would pay good money to hear that. A bit of a Smith's medley here. Shawn Michaels singing Morrissey's I Have Forgiven Jesus. Mankind singing the Smith's classic Hand in Glove. Yeah. And The Boy with the Thorn in His Side by Bob Holly featuring Rob Van Dam. <laughs> in reference to the back fanny, as yeah. I believe we've dubbed it over the years. Yeah. <laughs> that, that it really is a gruesome image. Yeah. I think this one was Adam's personal favourite. Stephanie McMahon singing Macho Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think this one was my personal favourite. CM Punk singing, well, it's Johnny Paycheck, but the Dead Kennedys did it as well. Take this job and shove it. Yeah. 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 It led to me listening to it on repeat this morning, actually. <laughs> and I think the agreed pièce de résistance among everybody who read the thread was Ken Raper singing Blurred Lines. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact this is, this is the most kind of exposure that Ken Raper's had. I'm expecting an email any day now saying thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> Maybe we'll get in touch. But we definitely need to get you to sing that song sometime, Paul. I, I actually quite like it, despite it being a bit rapey. I, I don't like it. No? Not a fan? No, no, not a fan. Again, an absolutely phenomenal response there, guys. So thank you so much. There's yeah, over 100 nice. different suggestions there. So whittling wow. it down was really quite hard. But every, everything we read made us chuckle. So Yeah, it's, it's, we've had some lovely responses. Shocking news, lads. Jack Tunney retired on July the 4th. Oh, my God. Dead, dead. 
when was the last time we saw Jack Tunney? King of the Ring 94 was the last time we saw him. Oh, okay. How yeah. much does he weigh? Is he one of the wrestlers? Tunney had been <laughs> kayfabe president of the WWF since September of 1984. His legitimate position was as head promoter of WWF events in Canada, a role he gained when he broke Maple Leaf Wrestling away from a 30-year alliance with the NWA and switched over to Vince McMahon's growing World Wrestling Federation. Tunney was involved in several major angles in the 1980s, most notably stripping the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase of the World Heavyweight title after he bought the strap from Andre the uh, Giant. Yeah, yeah, Do you yeah. remember that one? Yeah. But he'd been somewhat of a non-factor over the last few years. The last time we saw him on pay-per-view was a brief cameo at King of the Ring 94 during Owen Hart's coronation, where he just gets Jim Nardhart to do it for him. Yeah. So he was just sort of, yeah. sort of stood there doing nothing. He was involved in the build-up to something as well, wasn't he? The, re- the sure, WrestleMania matches. Well, there's, there's the Shawn right? Michaels stuff. It was, uh, yeah, he was there for that, and he was involved in the coin toss stuff with yeah. Bret Hart and Lex Luger. Yeah, so he has been around, but not in any sort of major role. Unfortunately for Jack, he had something of a gambling problem. Oh dear. And in 1995, he had used WWF funds to try and clear some of it. Being oh, as purse oh, strings were tight at the time. Hang on, how much? I, I, I can't find a figure, but that's the exception. We're, we're, we're not just talking like $20. It's not like he borrowed a tenner, yeah. No. I can't see Vince being happy about that. No. Later in July, McMahon would choose to run some shows in Toronto without Tunney, and with the announcement of his retirement, Tunney's 10-year association with the WWF was over. Jack Tunney would pass away from a heart attack in his sleep, age 68, on July 24th, 2004. His death was never mentioned on WWE television or on WWE.com, nor has Tunney been posthumously inducted into the Hall of Fame. So that should tell you something about the company's opinion of him. It seems like a bit of a shame to me because, like my first sort of like run of watching wrestling, I do remember Jack Tunney turning up. Do you miss the days where authority figures in wrestling were just people who just popped in every now and again just to serve a storyline purpose and didn't have any agenda? Mm, kind of. I think the most overplayed cliche in all of wrestling is authority figures now. I guess. I mean, well, Zenith is that was Vince, Vince McMahon yeah. and Stone Cold, wasn't it? And they've been trying to recapture that ever since. Unfortunately, it's not worked so well. No. So yeah, that's Jack Tunney gone. They will name a replacement for him soon. Any idea who you'd like it to be? Any idea who it bloody should be? Sergeant Slaughter. No. Who should it be? Should be Bob Backlund, shouldn't it? He's campaigning for president. That would make such sense. Well, it wouldn't really make sense because he's a heel, but it would make (laughs) awesome television. It would make awesome television. Because of his... his, Obviously, he's not going to become president of the USA, but he can become president of... exactly. So so that would work. Really, really, really missed a trick there by not putting him in that role. He could cut some great promos. Yeah, he sure could. About beta quarantine. Anyway, it's Sunday, July the 23rd, 1995, and we are live from the Nashville Municipal Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee, in front of a crowd of 6,482. All paid, apparently, this time. Mm. Small number, though. Yeah, it is. It is. A small crowd. Yeah. The show drew a 0.7 buy rate, which is approximately 280,000 buys for a company gross of $1.08 million and a live gate of 75,000. Interestingly enough, this is actually a higher buy rate than last month's King of the Ring, and that may be something to do with the fact it's slightly cheaper, but it's good to know they didn't scare away their entire pay-per-view audience. Yeah, with which show. was... A- a very real possibility. Yeah. Well, one of the things I was going to ask is, what was the critical reception of King of the Ring like at the time? Because obviously it's now remembered as, as infamously poor. Was it greeted like that at the time? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah, the bits I read from the time was, yeah, this show sucked ass. Yeah. So it's not something that's been looked back on and gone, hey, that was terribly bad. 
Because I was a little bit worried kind of going into this in terms of, just for the company's point of view, we'd, we'd gone through In Your House 1, which was relatively, uh, well, in my opinion, was a bit of a missed opportunity to do something a little bit better. King of the Ring was an abomination of a pay-per-view, and they were going into another kind of cheaper pay-per-view. I was wondering how that was going to pan out for them. Well, it seems to have worked out all right, because it drew better than King of the Ring. Yeah. Hmm. In the dark match for the live crowd before the pay-per-view, Skip with Sonny defeated Aldo Montoya. So Skip and Sonny will discuss a bit more next month. And Aldo Montoya continues his free fall. Yeah, well, it's not really a free fall. He's just at the bottom. He's just hit, he's hit the bottom <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he's still there. He's still employed. He's still getting a paycheck. Yeah. I did manage to find the pre-show on YouTube where Barry Dudinsky tried to sell me a T-shirt that has both Sid and Diesel on it. He was really excited about this. Mm. This time, the pre-show was mostly just Todd in the WWF Mania studio, building the matches rather than wandering around the arena. Oh, and Todd did tell me that Lex Luger has vowed he won't leave Nashville without gold around his waist. So I presume he's still there. (laughs) (laughs) What did we think to the opening theme and video package for this show? I'm getting the feeling it might have a country music theme. Do you reckon? Yeah. I'm not a big fan of country music, so for that aspect of it, I didn't really like it. But it was all right. Yeah, it was okay. It it told me more about the theme of the pay-per-view. What it didn't do, which In Your House 1 was brilliant for, is In Your House 1 gave us that little summary of, this is why you watch this, yeah. and this is what's coming up, and we didn't get that, really, with this. Well, the song does sing that Jeff Jarrett's going to be singing with his baby tonight, which is basically the main hook for this show. Yeah, but I wanted to know more about what the matches were going to be, right. and, and that's what I didn't get to find out. Again, I do like the idea of theming these pay-per-views. I mean, you said with the Royal Rumble having the beach theme that you would have preferred that in summer. Yeah. But yeah, I I think the idea, especially with these little ones that don't have their own identity, it would serve a purpose to kind of try and tag them with perhaps the area they're going to, which is obviously what they've done with this, being in Nashville, tagged it with a country music theme. I was was okay with the theme. I just think they could have amped it up and got a little bit more mileage out of it. I'm, I'm not sure who was actually singing this opening song, but it did sound a lot like Michael Hayes. Okay. Anyone agree, disagree? I can't I'd have to rehear it to, okay. to make a judgment on that. And the little in your house logo this time, did you spot, doesn't go through the door, it goes through the window. Oh, I noticed that, yeah. yeah. I just didn't. God, you're watching closely. So across these pay-per-views with that logo, they do do different little things. Like I think in the December pay-per-view, it has a little Christmas hat on it, so... Yeah, yeah. Well, look keep, keep your eye that, out yeah. for those different animations. Our hosts are Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler. Thank fuck he's back on commentary. Where's Doc Hendricks gone? Well, Who cares? <laughs> well, we, we get to see him later on. And, oh, yeah. So, so what did it take them two pay per views? Well, Lawler was that... wrestling on both of those pay per views. So, was I, it, I Hendricks originally bought in as just a filler? He was there to be a commentator. So, I don't know whether the plan long term was to put him in Lawler's spot, but oh, I think quite would... quickly they've realised Lawler is the right person to be in that yeah, spot. Yeah, because Lawler's quite good, and Hendricks was bloody awful. Yeah, King says his hat was a gift from Garth Brooks. Yeah, it's uh, it's a cowboy hat with a crown around it, isn't it? They tell us a little bit about the card. For the first time ever on WWF pay-per-view, we've got a lumberjack match. And Double J will attempt to sing live and defend the IC title. Has anybody been excited about a lumberjack match at any point before? Never, I don't think. I don't think I've ever heard the idea of a lumberjack match and thought, oh, great. But as this was the first one, was there any... It's not the first lumberjack match, but, but it's the first WWF one on yeah. pay per view. Yeah. So w- would it have had a little bit of appeal in that sort of like sense? Well, I guess that's what they were hoping for. Because I think by what, selling the show, what I think of now, and that was you know before we watched this lumberjack match is when I think lumberjack match, I think they're just going to wheel out loads of people that haven't really got anything else to do and just shove them around the ring. Nah, they definitely yeah. wouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much it adds to a match. 
Well, I mean, we'll cover it a bit later, but I think with Sid and Diesel in the ring, it's the right thing to do to distract from their limitations, yeah. shall we say. Yeah. But yeah, we'll get to that later. Our first match is the roadie versus the one, two, three kid. There's been no real build up for this on TV and the match is pretty much a leftover of the Jeff Jarrett Razor Ramon feud. Mm. Although on television, roadie and double J were credited with injuring the kid's neck. So this is there for him to get his revenge, I suppose. The other purpose for this match, as we'll see, is to kind of get the roadie over. The one, two, three kid is out to a decent reception and it's been since the Royal Rumble since we last saw him in a match on pay-per-view and King of the Ring 1994 since we last saw him in a singles match on pay-per-view so it's been a long old time out next is the roadie sons jeff jarrett vince plays up the storyline of what would jeff jarrett be without the roadie since he's been up since 5 30 a.m getting things ready for this performance Mm. kid attacks roadie in the aisle but rolled back into the ring roadie takes over roadie trips on a leapfrog and i wasn't sure if that was intentional i thought it was a botch the kid gets some kicks in the corner and a head scissors taking Rody back out of the ring. He then gives the Rody some time to recover before hitting a slingshot kick over the top rope. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's good. It was unique. I was expecting a sort of cannonball yeah. type manoeuvre, but no, to sort of do the standing he, slingshot kick. To, to me, and we'll, 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 I'm sure we'll talk more about this in a minute, he looked like he was going about 90%, I thought, with a lot of his The moves. kid, you mean? Yeah, his pace is still fast in comparison to everybody else's. And I think... Roadie was trying to keep up yeah. with the pace in that respect. But in terms of how daring most of his moves were, he was just pulling back a little bit. Because I think you're right, normally it would be some kind of cannonball. But he landed on his feet from the kick and he just yeah. looked a little bit safer. I think well, for, having just come back from a neck injury, it might that might have something to do with it. Well, that's, that's what I was presuming. I mean, I hope they don't do any crazy spots later in the match. <laughs> <laughs> for me, like, I think... Rody still looks pretty green in terms of moves in the ring. I don't know whether that's deliberate as part of his character because obviously he's not been wrestling for that long, or is he actually quite green into it? I think he's relatively green. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that kind of halted the kid playing up his usual pacing for it. I so think Rody does a, a decent job of keeping it, up with it, him, though. He does, yeah. But he's he's a he's a little more. It's not quite as fluid as no. it would be with uh, with other people, perhaps. That's probably a good word for it. And I think the other thing we said, though, even the kid operating at 90% is is 50% faster than anybody else. Yeah, except yeah, yeah. Shawn Michaels, maybe. Back inside, more kicks in the corner and a crossbody in the opposite corner by the kid. Kid runs at the roadie and gets caught in a power slam. Backstage, Jarrett isn't paying attention to the roadie's match. He's putting his hat on and gargling water. Yeah. Wow. He's getting, getting ready for his performance tonight. No, doesn't care about his friend's match, though. He's a bad friend. Yeah, he's the one person that we've seen where there's been the opportunity to be watching telly backstage and has not been watching it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, most people watch it in a very kind of comical way. Yeah, yeah. they stand yeah. at an off-angle and stare at it. Yeah. Not Jeff Jarrett. Back to the ring and Roadie dives off the apron with a clothesline to the kid. We get some one, two, three chants and the roadie lifts the kid up, crotches him around the ring post and his head, I'll add head and crotch around the ring post, <laughs> and then just allows the kid to fall to the floor. Mm. thought that was quite a dangerous spot that looked quite nasty as well. Yeah. Mm. There is some good chance for the kid though, isn't he? He's still really over even though he hasn't been wrestling greatly. Yeah, he's still a popular performer. Inside again, the roadie works over the kid with a flapjack, leg drops, taunting, a back body drop and some gyrating followed by a two count. The back body drop was was pretty cool, I thought. It got some good height on that. Yeah. I think he always has the kid on any, anyone who sort of back drops him. I know it's normally been quite big guys, but it's yeah. interesting to see him do it with someone of sort of a comparable size and it, slightly more weight. Yeah, mm. it was an interesting kind of dynamic. It was a little bit different to the usual being thrown about quite so violently by, by, by a big, big guy. dude, yeah. yeah. 
Backstage again, and Jarrett is having a discussion with some permed backing singers, still not paying attention to the match. Mullet of the night? Not in contention. Oh. I don't think, no. One thing I'll note, if you saw the With My Baby Tonight music video, the, sing- the backing singers in the video are white, but the ones he's got live are black. Yeah, they oh. seem to sound quite similar. Interesting. Yeah. One, two, three, chance again, bring the kid back to his feet, but Rody cuts him off before heading to the top rope and missing a splash. Thought he got good heart on his good splash. splash yeah. Though, yeah. yeah. Kid takes back over with a spinning kick and a nice running drop kick in the corner. Kid then heads to the top rope and hits a nice frog splash for a two. Something new yeah. from him yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. Kid then whips Rody into the ropes looking for a hurricane runner, but Rody counters with a power bomb. I, I thought that actually, out of all the moves in this match, looked the most crisp. Yeah. Also, I think you know, huge credit goes to the kid again for sort of jumping into, into position quite a lot for that. Is 1995 the first year we've started seeing power bombs on WWF television? I mean, are they replacing the frequency of pile drivers? Not, not that extreme. Not, yeah. <laughs> it's not like King of the Ring 94 or all over yeah. again. But yeah, they certainly seem more frequent in this year. Rody whips Kid into the corner, charges, but misses. Kid goes to the top, but Rody crotches him and hits a hideous second rope pile driver for the three at 7.26. I say pile driver, but it's kind of, he just falls backwards yeah. while sort of pulling the kid down. It yeah. looked nasty. Like, it's, really nasty. It's one of these moves, and I often don't like it in, in many ways, aesthetically and I think in terms of safety, because it just doesn't look right, where they're not symmetrical. Yeah. There was kind of very much kind of one side came down before the other, mm. and it, that never looks right, and it never looks, I don't know if it is safe or not, but doesn't look well, it. It looked uncomfortable. It's not something I'd like to be doing seven days a week, no. But why, why is the kid taking that when he's just come back from neck surgery? Rody doesn't need to be doing that move, even if they're going to put him over and have him win. He doesn't need to be doing that. As it finishing. certainly gets the awe pop, doesn't it? It does, but you've got to think. At the expense of someone's body, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Th- th- this is a guy who's, you know, when we did the kind of best TV matches of 94, how many of those matches were the, was the kid in about? I think four. Four. You know, what, what were we looking at, about seven or eight matches? Yeah, I think it so, was. So it's in about half the matches. That gives you an indication of how important he is in terms of your in-ring quality. Yeah. And to have him risking uh, a longer, more permanent injury and damaging his body like that, I think is just reckless. Especially when it's not even really a big angle. It's, like you said, there's a no. little, little build-up yeah. to it. And it's... I mean, this isn't, this isn't a Royal Rumble. It's not a WrestleMania. It's not a SummerSlam. You know, it's not high up on the card. What? Not a fan of that finish, Paul. I just put stupid, so stupid. And I put whoever planned this spot. Why? Rody taunts on his way out of the ring and checks on JJ's equipment. Anyway, I thought it was quite a spirited match and it was way better than anything we saw last month. So it was definitely a good yeah. way to start the card. But yeah, it was a nasty, nasty ending. I think it it was kind of decent though. I think the kid carried it a lot, but it was, the, like you say, the Rody kept up with it for the most part and it was pretty good. Well, I think, I think that it seems like they're obviously trying to get the Rody over. over. And I think it's done in no harm this match, but the ending really it just... soured it for you. It has, yeah. I thought it was a really good opener and it does everything you kind of want from an opening match. But yeah, that finish, not a good idea. Yeah. I did like his strutting down the steps though. Yeah. Todd is backstage with the Million Dollar Corporation. Standing with the Million Dollar Corporation and its CEO, Ted DiBiase. Ted, this is it tonight. WWF Championship on the line. There is nowhere for Sid to run. That's enough, Pettingale. Tonight, Diesel, there's nowhere for you to run. You want to call Sid Psycho? Let me tell you something. The Million Dollar Man has bought the best outpatients that money can buy in the form of 15 lumberjacks around that ring. I'm going to tell you something. Diesel, tonight, it's in your house. But when you step out of the ring, you're in his house. 
Welcome to your destiny, Big Daddy Cool. Sid has you in his asylum. That's right. And he's got you right where he wants you. And on the outside, there's 15 of the most vicious, craziest nuts just waiting for your sorry carcass to fall outside so we can destroy you. That's right, Diesel. Big man here is going to destroy you. You see, you're going to enter the Bates Hotel alive. But when it's time to come out, Big Man's gonna drag you out. <laughs> See the word destiny? No, it's the word extinction. That's what happens to you tonight, Big Daddy. For you are in my asylum in your house. Because you now have to meet the master, the ruler of the world. <laughs> DiBiossi says Diesel has nowhere to run and that he's bought the best Lumberjacks money can buy. Mm-hmm. Mm. They let Tatonka talk and it's as awful as ever. Oh, God, Karma yeah. talks as well and Sid tells us he's the master and the ruler of the world. Tatonka's promos it just seem to be getting worse. They're really, really wooden. I find it quite painful to watch. Don't worry, you won't see a lot of them going forward. You know what's quite creepy in this kind of little section? Go on. Todd Pettingill's getting younger. <laughs> what? And, and... Less irritating. I found him quite inoffensive tonight, especially compared to another segment later on in the evening. I think he's saying less. He is, but also his man. I mean, he's not got his money. He looks more sensible, but he's less over the top. And I, I don't mind over the top, but there's over the top good and over the top bad, and he's always been over the top bad. For yeah, me. yeah. He, he's been restricted to what he was doing on television. Let's let's say that or yeah. on pay per view. You know, I, I've not been his biggest fan. In fact, I've disliked nearly everything he's done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but actually, fair's fair. I think. Tonight, he did an okay job of what he was supposed to do, actually. Adam's still upset over the loss of the mullet. Yeah. I'm a little bit, yeah. But did you not think he look, looks younger? No. Pettingill, I'm not sure that he does. Check again. <laughs> I preferred his mulleted look. Our next match is Men on a Mission versus Razor Ramon and Savio Vega. Again, not a lot of build-up on television for this one, but it does have the story stemming from Shudder, King of the Ring 1995, where Mabel defeated Savio Vega in the final and then attacked Razor Ramon after the bout. Out come Men on a Mission, and Mo has his own crown. What the fuck did he win? <laughs> Surely you should have some sort of wooden spoon then. We see highlights from King of the Ring, and it feels a bit like what I imagine Vietnam flashbacks feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Vince is still enamoured with Mabel's size, no change there then. No real heat for men on a mission on the way out either, which is a bit of a bad sign. Yeah. How stupid does Mo look? <laughs> Except Very. Uh, yeah. I mean, Mabel looks bad. Don't get like don't get me wrong, he looks bad. But I think Mo's outfit, just like look at the guys, look at what they're wearing, look at what their characters are supposed to be. None of those things go together. Yeah, I suppose if they're going to be mean street thugs now, they probably shouldn't be wearing purple jumpsuits and pyjamas. Purple and gold, purple and gold, shiny stuff. It's a magpie's dream. (laughs) (laughs) A good reaction for Razor's music, though, on the way out as he and Savio enter. Razor still has his ribs taped, but wait, it's a ruse. Mm. He untapes them and throws the tape at Mabel. Razor and Mo start, and Mo gets a toothpick in the face and Razor with some shoulder blocks to open, and he catches Sir Mo for the sack of shit before a tag to our old pal Savio Vega. I thought that was quite impressive, because although he's not the size of Mabel, Mo's still quite a hefty person. Yeah. So, I mean, it's an impressive feat of strength to do it. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. You know what we've not talked about? What? Rose and Rose pants. Black and gold? Yeah, black and gold. It's the best combo. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's very little to say about that now. I, th- I think they're, they're his main event main event pants. See, I think the more colourful ones he, sh- he should bring out on the pay-per-views and mm. black and gold should just be standard television fare. 
I quite like the black and gold, though. Yeah. I guess it's just my own personal opinion. Maybe you could do top trumps for his pants. I don't think he's got, like, 30-odd pairs of pants. <laughs> maybe, maybe, five. Um, <laughs> maybe you should do five-card pack of top trumps would be awful. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe over quickly. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe it's not black and gold, maybe it's black and yellow, and then you could do that Wiz, is it Wiz Khalifa song. That black and yellow, black and yellow song. No idea what you're talking about. I have no about. idea. What Have you not heard about. that song? No. Google it later. Is it contemporary? It's, it's like a year old. If it's not old. from the 80s, Adam hasn't heard yeah. it. Yeah, that's pretty much I don't case. think it's a mullet song, but it just goes black and yellow, black and yellow. It just reminds me of wasps. <laughs> <laughs> Chops and a clothesline by Saviota Mo before Mo counters and tags Mabel in. Mabel's first action? Missing a splash in the corner and getting spin kicked. <laughs> All hail the king. Yeah. He then does get his black hole slam, though, and throws Savio to the outside. Mo helpfully, like a good sir, throws Savio back in. I did like. I've got to say, I did like his black hole slam. It's it. good. He's still not got the rotation. I do like a bit his black hole slam, but it was pretty good. I thought he started shouting a lot more now. I noticed as well, Mabel trash talking. Yeah, I, I think I'm more of a fan of that. Okay, Mabel works over Savio, whipping him into the corners, and then hits a sort of enziguri. Tag to Mo for a double clothesline, and Mo with an arrogant cover for a two. A tag back to Mabel. Good work there, Mo. While Vince lies about Savio Vega wrestling four times in one night on King of the Ring being a WWF record. Randy Savage, anyone? WrestleMania 4, the wrestling classic? No? <laughs> no, I want to forget well, that. Randy Savage doesn't exist anymore, does oh, he? Oh, yeah, yeah, right, sorry. Mabel with the Luger killing nerve hold, but Savio powers uh, out. As he looked at some Yokozuna nerve holds and thought, that's the submission hold for me, I'll use that one. Unfortunately, he hasn't looked at the leg drop and thought, hmm, maybe I should stop pancaking my leg over people's faces. <laughs> like a chump, Savio goes for a body slam and Mabel falls on top of him for a two. He had to know that was a bad idea, surely. <laughs> Mabel then hits a sort of lifting back body drop toss type thing. I believe that's what Vince called it. <laughs> no, no, I think he just called it an impressive manoeuvre. Okay, yeah. I actually quite like that. On the subject of Vince, I like to say that you know he's still saying manoeuvre all the time. But you're also really overusing the phrase, oh my goodness. Yeah. He must have said it about 50 times in this pay-per-view. Has he been doing that before and I've just not noticed? Or is this yeah, I something think he new? has used it, but maybe not with the frequency. Yeah, mm. I don't think he's used gumption yet this no, episode. Also, I will note to you, I think I sent you a text message did, yeah. that, yeah, on the roars between King of the Ring yeah. and this show, he was using the word gumption again. So mm. I don't know if this was his word of the month toilet yeah. paper or something. <laughs> does unfortunately just manoeuvre just keep coming up? Does... <laughs> Has he, has he got a faulty batch? Yeah. yeah, they accidentally sent him like a misprinted one. Maybe we should make that. Manoeuvre toilet paper. But, but yeah, but Maybe that have... could be our first piece of merch. Yeah, just have all the different manoeuvres that he's mentioned over the years. Impressive manoeuvre as he wipes his arse. <laughs> and, and where's from? Dangerous manoeuvre. A tag to Mo for another double clothesline as Razor begs for the tag and Mo nails him with a right. Another tag to Mabel and he hits his flat leg drop across the back of Savio's neck. Another quick tag to Mo who heads to the top rope with all the grace of a one-legged crab. <laughs> well, well, just, well, you see what I did yeah, there? Yeah. Good link to the last episode. Um, but I did like the fact, well, I say did. I didn't like the fact that he went up top because if you can't climb the ropes, <laughs> <laughs> you probably can't do a move off them. Basically, he misses a moonsault. I didn't think that was terrible either. I, I give him bonus points for going out of his comfort zone. Yeah, he was trying something a bit difficult. Yeah. But yeah, his, he, his, he maybe should have practised it more. His, but... his climb to the top rope was probably the least graceful thing I think I've ever seen. Well, it was, it was probably less graceful than when um, one of the head shrinkers was doing it with his boot. <laughs> <dangling>. <laughs> 
Savio finally gets the hot tag to Razor, who nails Mo with fists and sets him up on the top turnbuckle for a top rope backdrop. He signals for the Razor's Edge and nails Mabel trying to enter the ring. Mo tags Mabel, who heads to the top rope, but Ooh. Razor gets up and slams him off the top for a two. I thought that was actually quite impressive. I know, obviously, Mabel's doing a lot of the work there, but I thought Race did a good job. And going to the top rope, that's, again, points for going out of your comfort zone, mate. Yeah, but I think the important thing is that they don't let him do any moves off the top rope. Oh, yeah, that would be insta-death yeah. Yeah, for anyone that he hit. Clotheslines from Razor can't take Mabel down. Mo gets a knee to the back of Razor and Mabel takes him down with a DDT but misses a splash. Savio takes Mo out to the outside, leaving Razor and Mabel in the ring where Mabel hits a splash in the corner and the belly-to-belly suplex for the three at 10.09. Surprisingly good. That is my exact note. Surprisingly good. I, I, I actually thought this match was relatively well planned out and matched up. It made sense having, because for me, Savio Vega doesn't really have very good offence, particularly. And to have him there, obviously, doing the kind of build for the hot tag makes sense. I like Razor's offence. It makes sense. Yeah. The, the, The booking of the finish, fair play. I guess, I mean, I don't, wouldn't say I agree with it, but if you're going to push Mabel, I guess it makes sense for him to pin Razor. Yeah, that's another note I've got down here. If Mabel is headed towards Diesel, then pinning Razor, who's obviously slightly below him in company standing as a babyface, makes sense mm. on his way towards Diesel. Outside of that, maybe that Quebecers match at WrestleMania 10, if you remember that? Yeah. yeah. This was easily the best thing we've seen men on a mission involved oh, in. by country mile, yeah. Again, Razor did his hot tag stuff well. And again, Mabel and Mo points for trying something different. Yeah, they did a little bit more. And having them both just switch around constantly kind of stops either one getting too knackered. And it's definitely preferable to seeing Mabel wrestle in two singles matches. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I thought it was okay. It wasn't brilliant, but it's okay, yeah. It was better than anything I could have expected. The point that I think he's making now is it's difficult to, to watch something now and compare it objectively next to King of the Ring 1995. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you think that? Because it's a feeling that I've got that whatever we got I was going to like. Yeah, I suppose. I yeah, I mean, we'll delve that. into that at the end of the show, but, but yeah, can, I see your point. We can certainly pick out some of the merits of this match, though. Yeah, oh, definitely. You know. yeah. Todd is with the band on the stage, and he acts like a twat there, too. Yep. Getting the drummer to do drum rolls. Just constantly. And you've got, like, is, is Vince trying to get him to move on at some yeah, point? Vince and he's still tr- just banging on about getting this drummer to do different things. Vince is trying to talk over him, and it's quite awkward, because you then can't hear either of them. Yeah. <laughs> Todd is obviously having some Alright, I can do this all night. Ladies and gentlemen, Jade. I want to take you to uh, Doc Hager to understand his standing by Ready with a couple of Diesel's lumberjacks. They're not playing any kind of music. They are ready to go, ladies and gentlemen. I'll tell you that. But just give me a ba dum bum bum ba bum. Oh, I, I didn't mind it. I, I, I don't know. With hilarious consequences. (laughs) With hilarious consequences. Of course. Doc Hendricks is backstage with Diesel's Lumberjacks, and he tries to shit-stir that DiBiase has paid one of them off. Nobody comes off particularly good here. I'm standing here with five of Diesel's Lumberjacks. Rumors running rampant that DiBiase has purchased one of Diesel's Lumberjacks. And hey, I don't want to start no trouble, but when I pulled up today, I seen both smoking guns in brand new pickup trucks. Hey, you know, DiBiase can take his dang bribes and stick. 
take it, you know? You know, Doc, we saw Man Mountain Rock talking Man. to Mr. DiBiase. Oh, well, they see, there's another one. I heard there's a new rock around the world tour. Could DiBiase be the benefactor? Well, I could use a new guitar. Hey. No way, man. DiBiase's money is dirty money. Well, if we were going in alphabetical order, we'd have to start with Adam Bomb. Hey, look. DiBiase's tried to buy Adam Bomb in the Bomb Squad, and I turned him down flat. Well, that only leaves one choice. The man that started with the Million Dollar Corporation. Bam Bam, just between you and us. No, nah, no, nah, because nobody knows the corporation better than Bam Bam Bigel. And I'll tell you this, Doc, not even you would want to cut a deal with the Million Dollar Man. But I'm going to say another thing. When Big Daddy Cool presses big shit up over his head, yeah. slams him to the mat yeah. right by Bam Bam Bigel's yeah. feet. Bam Bam Biggle's gonna do exactly what he said. He's gonna set him on fire, and yeah. we are not gonna yeah. stop yeah. until the corporation is bankrupt and broke. Back to you, Vinny Mac. Back to you. It's crazy here. Bam Bam, the smoking guns, Man Mountain Rock, and Adam Bomb all accuse each other of selling out, but then make up and high five. Yeah, it's a bit shit, isn't it? I did like Doc's reasoning for why Adam Bomb might have sold out because alphabetically he's the first one. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that, that's how it works. It's time for the singing debut of Jeff Jarrett after an introduction by the roadie. The band play his theme song as Jarrett enters. And why does he do the fucking ha-ha-ha thing between everything he says? What's that all about? I don't know. Jeff says he told everyone he was going to use the WWF, and that's exactly what he's done. I do require an explanation of how exactly he's done that. (laughs) He gets the name of his single wrong as well, calling it Back With My Baby Tonight. Instead of with my baby tonight, he says he's proven everybody wrong by being a big country music star.
tremendous tune. The song is shit, but for some reason I like it. <laughs> Vince is impressed. And, and so are a few people in the crowd. What did you reckon to the performance? Oh, I quite liked it. And, and what's I say? It's the version that I was watching. Uh, the picture wasn't great and it looked like, I don't know what the white term is, but like the frame rate was about eight frames a second, it looked. <laughs> and, and so actually it looked like Jeff Jarrett was singing to me, although I hear he wasn't. He was doing a very good lip syncing, though, for the most part. Good camera work to like cover up parts where maybe yeah, it, not, it, yeah. It, was, it, it was clever cutting, but yeah, yeah, pretty decent effort. I, I thought it was all right. I, I actually thought the song was all right. I thought the singing was pretty good. I, I thought, actually, in terms of musical performances on the WWF, Living Colour aside, it, it's, it's one better of the better than ones. Flow Rider and Machine Gun Kelly. I think so, yes. So, who was the singer? So, Adam can't work out who the singer was. Paul? I know who the singer was. Paul, who's singing it? It's The Road Dog. Yes, it's The Road Dog. Wow. <laughs> it's a good, all right, all right. Yeah, fair, yeah. fair play to Road Dog. I thought it did yeah, a good job. Yeah. Good, good voice, yeah. And, and especially, did, did you watch the performance knowing who it was? No. You found out after you watched the yes. performance? Because for me, knowing who was singing it, it is weird watching Jeff Jarrett sing and hearing the Road Dog's voice. <laughs> that is. I, th- I thought you'd get it was Road Dog because he has done some sort of tuneful stuff on television before. Mm. Did a, done a bit of rapping, hasn't he, when he was with K-Quick? Yes. Get, getting rowdy. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised that didn't make your top five teams. <laughs> what What's up nearly did. Yeah. Odd as well. You've got a mid-card heel in Jeff Jarrett. And normally, you know, when you would do an angle like this, they would fail or fail to deliver on what they've done. But for all intents and purposes on this show, Jeff Jarrett says, yeah, I'm going to sing my hit single. He sings his hit single. And then Vince is like, yeah, actually, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of spot on, wasn't it? It's, it? it's really up, but I, I, looking at it from, obviously, I know it's different now, but going into that, I was thinking, is this set up to be like Jeff Jarrett's night? Is this set up to, to kind of take him to that next level? Well, it's certainly a pay-per-view centred around him, isn't yeah. it, really, mm. to an extent? When he's talking to the crowd before he starts the song, they're just the band are kind of playing his theme song yeah, behind, yeah. aren't they? And the guitarist looks so bored, <laughs> like... He doesn't know why he's doing this. But then when he actually started the song, he really livened up. Yeah. Very good. I Just waiting to do his bit. Todd is in the crowd with some fans to ask about the song. He gets a variety of responses from, he stinks, to, he's pretty good. It wasn't that bad. Yeah. He's Not. killer. On to our third bout. It's Bam Bam Bigelow versus Henry Godwin in a singles match. In a so, massive fall down the card. We saw Henry Godwin briefly at the Royal Rumble, but this is his first singles match on pay-per-view. Godwin, real name Mark Canterbury, debuted in 1989 and before long was teaming with Dennis Knight, a.k.a. Tex Slazinger. The team made their way to WCW in 1992 with Canterbury wrestling under a mask as Shanghai Pierce. They did little of note before Canterbury left for the World Wrestling Federation in mid-1994. On the 27th of November, 94 Action Zone, a vignette aired for Canterbury, repackaged as Arkansas hog farmer Henry Orpheus Godwin, a.k.a. Hog. Do you get it? Pig farmer, yeah. Yeah, and his initials are hog. It's been a while since Vince has done a hillbilly gimmick and Lord knows he's fond of them. Hilarious. Godwin debuted in a squash match on the 17th of December Superstars and has done little of note up to this point bar his participation in the Royal Rumble. That said, they keep banging on about always being tangling with the Undertaker and Diesel in the match. He's not really done that much. On the 1st of July Superstars, Godwin fought Adam Bomb to a double disqualification, leading to Godwin emptying his slot bucket all over Bomb. So, so it wasn't a double draw then? It wasn't a double draw. It was a double double DQ. On the 3rd of July Raw, 
As Bam Bam Bigelow made his way to the ring for a match against Sid, Godwin, who had just won a squash match, got into a scrap with the Beast from the East. Later in the bout, Godwin would interfere, leading to Sid winning the bout, kicking off a storyline where Godwin is an unofficial member of the Million Dollar Corporation, including partnering with Tatonka against the Allied Powers on the 10th of July Raw. Does Henry Godwin have the best theme music ever? It has pigs squealing in it. Should that have been in our top themes? No. No. (laughs) He also has a bucket of slop. Bam Bam is out next and his reaction has definitely dwindled since last month and he's got no arm guns this time, but he does still get his pyro. He's got gauntlets on, hasn't he? But he doesn't shoot the pyro with him. He's got a, a slightly less silly jacket on now. He still looks like a turkey. (laughs) (laughs) but the pyro was good Godwin gets a back body drop to open but Bigelow no sells and does two of his own so Henry copies the no selling before Bam Bam knocks him to the outside back inside Henry takes over with clubs to the back but Bam Bam hits a DDT and Henry is right back up and walks into some shoulder blocks what was going on with the no selling in this one I don't know I'll be honest with you I didn't really notice particularly I just thought it's one of those matches that it's relatively low down the card. Maybe they've got a particular time limit and, and maybe going for that. I didn't... Well, yeah, that, that might be the case. So to cut time, they've just decided, no, you do a move and get right back up. Yeah. yeah. Is, uh, is Bam Bam upset about being tumbled down into the mid-card? He's definitely on his descent from main event status, isn't he? Yeah. That, how long is he around? Bam Bam. Yeah. The last time we'll see him on pay-per-view is October. He's announced for the 96 Royal Rumble, but he's not in it. And then we'll never see him again. Aww. So it's, you've not got long of him left, Paul. I like Bam Bam. It's a shame, yeah. He's, he's been yeah. a consistently decent performer, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this isn't one of his better bouts, to be fair, is it? He's against yeah. a hog farmer, though. Godwin then pulls down the top rope as Bam Bam charges at him and they go to the outside again. A slam by Godwin on the mats outside and Bam Bam's face goes into the steps. Inside again and Godwin gets a clothesline for a two count and it's time for a chin lock. Henry goes for his bucket, but Tim White says no. I did notice, because I talk about it being a slop bucket... It was actually just filled with salad, <laughs> which for me would be worse. Because <laughs> well, we, we got maybe, the, maybe, um... maybe, in fact, maybe it's like me. Maybe because basically, I'll, I'll order a burger and I'll order it with the salad because it's just easier to say, "Oh, just put it on you," yeah. and then I'll spend my time just taking <laughs> taking the salad out of the burger. And maybe what he does is he's got a bucket with all the bits of salad that he's taken out of his burgers. So what you said is when we go out to restaurants now, you want me to bring a bucket for you to put your salad in. Yeah, and then I'll empty it over you in <laughs> a big heel move. In the sort of the footage that they showed from the Adam Bomb match, the bucket of slop that he empties over his head looks horrible. Yeah. Looks like much more of a liquidy type thing. Yeah. But yeah, you're right, it's his bucket... It was just lettuce. Just, just look a bit like salad. I think the story with the slop is, depending on who it was going over that night, depended on, you know, how rancid it was. If it was someone people didn't particularly like, then they were getting a rancid bucket of slop. If it was someone of decent standing, it wasn't going to be too bad. Be like a Caesar salad. Yeah. yeah. Paul's burger salad in a bucket. Yeah. <laughs> greasy salad. On a pole. Henry... <laughs> what? A greasy salad on a pole match. Yeah. Why would You wouldn't be climbing the pole for that, though, would you? Well, I wouldn't, but somebody might want to use it as a weapon on me. I don't know. (laughs) Frozen cucumber. Uh, Other than spiders, it's my kryptonite. (laughs) (laughs) Henry chokes Bam Bam over the ropes and a big body slam and an elbow drop for a two. Bam Bam counters a Godwin charge in the corner and heads to the top rope to miss a headbutt. He Godwin was, looked in the wrong position anyway. Yeah, the, that just way didn't too look close. Like yeah. yeah, Henry then goes to the top himself and misses a second rope sort of knee drop. Not really lands on his feet and goes on his knee. That's exactly the wording I had. <laughs> what was he trying to do? I don't know. 
set up the finish. That's my best explanation of it. <laughs> yeah, set up the finish. Yeah, That's it, exactly it, it, what he's doing. But it was, yeah. It's, it's, I've just given up. Yeah. Bam Bam then simply rolls Henry up for the three at 5.33. Nothing to this one, really. No, no, this is a bit of a nothing. Match. It was quite poor. The no-selling at the start, yeah, I found really, really odd. Post-match, Henry goes for the slot bucket, but Tim White again holds him off. Are we counting this as 0 and 10 for the corporation? I'm going to count it because it makes it more amusing the higher that number gets. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Bob Backland is in the crowd, and sadly we can't see or hear what he's doing, but he appears to be lecturing a kid in a Kurt Cobain t-shirt. Yeah, I noticed that. I can only imagine it's gold. Yeah. <laughs> this, what was this? What, why, why do it in the dark? <laughs> <laughs> With no microphone. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Poor Bob. Todd is backstage with Shawn Michaels. Eagles could certainly win any office in the land. And Shawn, we saw it here live with my baby tonight, Double J. He seems to be on a roll in the World Wrestling Federation. Well, you know, some Goldilocks has been living in this fairy tale world, but tonight he made it a reality. He got out there and sang, hey, I can't knock Double J. I bet you people called him on my birthday. My birthday is yesterday. Nobody called me. But the fact of the matter is the fans of the World Wrestling Federation want the heartbreak kid to get himself his own birthday present. And that present is going to be the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Championship belt. Goldilocks... Your fairy tale run is over here in the World Wrestling Federation. Is that what this place is called? Yes, sir. Yeah, okay, something like they that. They didn't change it. Oh, that's good. Thank it's goodness. not the Double JF. No, it's not. It's the WWF. I'm going to be the new Intercontinental Champion. And Double J, you're going down courtesy of the Heartbreak Kid. Todd suggests that Sean could be president. Yeah. I can't imagine a country with him as the president. Sean calls Jarrett Goldilocks and mildly compliments his singing and sort of bangs on about how it was his birthday and no one rang him. I, I doubt that's true. I'm sure people rang him. He then says he wants the IC title as a birthday present. N- note here, pretty sure he's on coke. He does look off his tits, yeah. Yeah, just, just movements and inflections in his voice. And it, talking about drugs. four times faster than people normally yeah. talk. Our next match is the Intercontinental title match. It's Shawn Michaels versus champion Jeff Jarrett. After 18 months of bragging about how he was going to use the World Wrestling Federation as a springboard to success within country music, Jeff Jarrett's With My Baby Tonight video finally premiered on the 1st of July 1995 episode of Superstars. Footage aired on the 10th of July Raw of archive footage of Jarrett trying to get into a studio in Nashville but being knocked back. On the 26th of June, Raw, Shawn Michaels sat in on commentary for Jerry the King Lawler. He'd gone to the dentist after King of the Ring, you see. During the show's main event, an intercontinental title match between Jeff Jarrett and Savio Vega, the roadie got into an altercation at ringside with guest announcer Michaels, leading to HBK helping Vega fight off a two-on-one attack from Jarrett and the roadie. Michaels then danced topless like a stripper on the Raw announce desk. Embarrassed, Jarrett would then demand a match with Michaels, and that's about it in terms of build for this one. There's some interesting comments at the start from the commentary team. Go on then. I think it's Lawler that says, I don't even know who it's about. What's her hobby? Stepping on rakes. Yeah. There's a woman, woman in the crowd. Yeah. yeah, I've got that note. Adam had a good chuckle at that one. That was particularly funny. I like Jerry Lawler on commentary. <laughs> not as a role model. I, no. But it's it's not a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like, oh no, stamp collecting or tennis. <laughs> Stepping on it. Who does that as a hobby? The band played Jarrett out for his entrance. Roadie enters first, and interesting to see a pay-per-view so centred around one particular performer. We've had the roadie at the start, then we've had the musical performance, then we've got this kind of feature matchup. I don't think we've seen any one performer featured so yeah. highly on yeah. a pay-per-view, really. To be honest, it's worked quite nicely for me. Yeah. I thought it's been good. 
Rhodey enters the ring and insists he introduced the IC champion. And it feels a bit like he's stalling for time until he all of a sudden speeds up when Jarrett comes out. Sean enters next to the moisture of women in the crowd. Mm. He does his male stripper routine as the audience goes wild. And yes, this is when we get the what's her hobby stepping on rakes, says King of a Girl in the crowd. It was actually quite attractive is the problem as well. She wasn't terrible. Was she standing next to someone? Wasn't there a pair of them? It's the one he kisses at the end that he's saying the rake comment about. Really? Well, well that's harsh then. Yeah, she doesn't look like she's stood on any rakes. <laughs> but the, what does a person who stood on a rake look like? Because it doesn't automatically mean... Make a permanent indentation yeah. in your face. If anything, I'd, I'd be most concerned about my foot. <laughs> <laughs> I pierced my foot on a rake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably what I'd say. <laughs> Double J poses with the belt to booze, and the camera misses Michaels knocking Jarrett off the top rope. He then checks himself in the reflection of the belt. On a side note for like Jarrett's entrance attire, he now definitely has a flashing jacket. Right. I've been thinking for like for the last few ones where he's come out, is the jacket flashing or is it just reflection? Um, but this time he's definitely got the jacket stri- definitely strip strip lights within the jacket. Yeah. Okay. We get a lock up to start and they exchange fists with Jarrett bumping head over arse like a boss. Sean lays across the top turnbuckle, posing for Playgirl. <laughs> Another lockup, and Jarrett hits an arm drag and celebrates. Lockup again, and arm ringers before Jarrett is whipped into the corner, leapfrogs over Michaels, and clocks him in the face. Jarrett then copies HBK's posing on the top turnbuckle. Hmm. Really nice opening. Trade of moves. Yeah. yeah. Sets up that they're quite equal as competitors. Yeah, and they're, they're quite equal in terms of size and speed build and, as well, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Jarrett with a side headlock and a flip, but Michaels pokes the champ in the eye. They then repeat the whip into the corner and over the top spot, but Michaels wins this time and clotheslines Jarrett and himself to the outside, but then skins the cat back in and copies Jarrett's strut. I liked his mocking of the strut. It was very good. Oh, that was good. And then he does some counting with the ref. Yes, he does. They, they, count, <laughs> they count together, which was lovely, I thought, because not enough times you see on TV men counting together. <laughs> <laughs> Do you uh, feel this was an advert for WrestleMath? Sean Michaels is endorsing it. It might as well have been on the back of the shirt at WrestleMath. Um, <laughs> I also loved one of the signs in the crowd that was just right on the hard camera. Double J, Jerk Jarrett. Yeah, yeah. I like that, yeah. Jarrett regroups on the outside with the roadie, but decides to leave. Yeah, and as Sean's counting with the ref, Jarrett, for some reason, decides to roll back in and right back out again. Yeah. I thought they set him up pretty well as just a dickhead. Yeah, yeah. Sean has had enough of this and chases Jarrett round the outside, clocking him and rolling him back in. Sean goes to the top, dives off, and Jarrett nails him in the gut and hits a boss man attack. Michaels avoids a Jarrett dropkick and Jarrett attempts to whip Michaels into the roadie, but Michaels stops, pokes him in the eye, knocking him back down to the floor. Was, was this the bit where his roadie kind of gets in position too early, gets out of the way and gets back into position again? Possibly. There's, just this, there's an odd little bit with one of these spots, because there's a couple of them. Yeah. And the roadie just has to kind of move out of the way and then get back in the way. Anyway, Jarrett charges, Michaels tosses him over the top onto the roadie, heads to the top rope and hits a cross bodies to the outside to both Jarrett and the roadie. Lovely stuff. Big bump to over the top rope. For, by Jarrett. For Jarrett, yeah. yeah. And really nice dive by Sean. Jarrett rolls back in and begs off in the corner. Before whipping Michaels into the opposite corner, Jarrett drops, Michaels fakes a dive, hits a sunset flip, Jarrett punches him, Michaels charges, and Jarrett throws him clean over the top rope to the outside. That was an absolutely insane bump. Yeah, and it was a great little sequence to sort of set it up. The -the over-the-top sort of Michaels bump is, he goes straight flipped over, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great move. 
the pace of these spots are incredible. Yeah, the sequences yeah. they're doing are really well timed, really well paced, and really smooth, really crisp, and everything that they're doing. Yes, yeah. excellent stuff. Jarrett rams Michaels face first into the steel steps and rolls HBK back into the ring. Is this where we get the, this kind of weird kind of front suplex? Jarrett with a front drop suplex for a two. Yeah, it is. Then. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was odd. Like, I didn't see that coming. Is that no. one of Jeff's normal moves? No, not really. Jarrett with an abdominal stretch and some extra leverage on the ropes when Hebner isn't looking. He also holds the roadie's hand, but Hebner kicks it out and Michael's hip tosses Jarrett out. I did like that, the, the kick of the hand by the ref. That was a nice touch because he did boot them. Yeah. It's yeah. Like and Ro- bad boys. Rody sells the injury to the hand from Hebner's vicious kick. Jarrett counters another Michael's charge with a DDT for a two. Vince's mic isn't working and the king loves it. It's gone for a good few minutes. And did you catch the absolute first thing Vince says after three, four minutes of his mic not working? Um, something about kisses and manoeuvres. What a manoeuvre. It's manoeuvre. like it's been building up inside yeah. him for about four minutes. He's just <laughs> desperate to get it out. Jarrett chokes Michaels over the ropes and Rody helps behind Hebner's back. But Michaels pulls him onto the apron for Jarrett to charge into him, leading to a roll-up by Sean for a two before Jarrett whips him into the corner and he bounces back first into the buckle and over the top to the outside. Jarrett distracts the ref and Rody hits a clothesline off the apron, a little bit of dancing and a cheeky little wink to the camera. Yeah, I like that. And, the, and then there's the I'll win by count out. That's what uh, yeah, Jeff yeah. says. Jeff's taunting of, yeah, this is how I'm going to win is pretty good as well. Jarrett and the Rody celebrate. Brilliant. Michaels crawls back into the ring and Jarrett heads to the top for a nice crossbody, but Michaels rolls through for a two. Look at that manoeuvre. Christ, Vince. <laughs> Crucifix into a sunset flip by Jarrett, but Michaels punches Jarrett and they exchange twos before a picture-perfect dropkick by Jarrett. Lovely. Really We've good. long been fans of Jarrett's dropkick, but this was a this was a 10 on 10, 100% A-star effort. Agreed? Yeah. yeah ride, like ride up with uh, Bob Holly's best. Jarrett catches Michaels off the ropes with a sleeper hold, taking Michaels down to the canvas. Sean's arm won't drop for the third time, however, and he powers up and back body drops the champion, leaving both men down. Sean crawls towards Jarrett slowly and covers for a two. Michaels punches Double J and hits a flying fist and a kip up and another fist. Brilliant sequence, nice and smoothly done. The pacing of this match altogether, I, th- I think, has been really good. The kind of the know when to go and kind of ramp up the speed and when to slow it down, which I think is a good... And there's this huge yeah. audience investment in it. And even when, you know, they're going for a sleep hold. Now, it's not a really long sleeper hold, but there's still plenty of... Interest, yeah. There's plenty of heat going on during it, while there's sometimes, yeah. as we've seen all too often, they're going for one of these, a sleeper or a nerve hold or a chin lock or something, and everything just drops out of the match. But they've done things so well... The, yeah. the audience is still there for it. And Sean's so over as a baby face as well. That yeah. Helps. Well, somebody said, I don't know if it was on Facebook or Twitter, that we've been a bit harsh on on Sean in the, you know, this the kind of series so far. But it's hard, I think, when you know how capable somebody is. And yeah. okay, so he's had some good matches. But I think this is probably WrestleMania 10 aside, the first time that is really... Really shown something yeah, amazing. Yeah. This is a step up, isn't it? Yeah. Sean heads to the top rope and hits a spinning axe handle for a two. Something I've yeah. never really seen. I, yeah, I've never seen that before. It was like the kid, the kid earlier. I didn't expect that. Yeah. I was thinking, what's he going to do? Yeah, you expect moonsault. kind of a moonsault. Yeah. 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 Even though it's less athletic, it's still like, oh, that's pretty nice. Yeah. Back to the top again for a sweet elbow drop by Michaels for another two count. Again, yeah. if you were to say, here is how to do an elbow drop, that one, a macho man aside... That's one you'd show. Well, well, perhaps he was showing Jeff how to do it. We noted Jeff's yes, elbows Jeff's was early. Yes, particularly bad, yeah. 
Michaels whips Double J into the buckles, charges, Jarrett jumps up, Michaels slides to the outside and crotches Jarrett around the ropes. Michaels back to the top and Rhodey shakes the rope, crotching Sean, leading to the comment from Jerry Lawler of Papa sang bass, Michael sang tenor. <laughs> Johnny Cash reference there. Jarrett then hits a second rope superplex and signals for the figure four to booze, but Michaels gets a small package. A shin breaker by Jarrett seems sensible, as the figure four's his yeah. finisher. Yeah. He signals for it again, but Michaels kicks Double J into Hebner. A, I like the shin breaker. The shin breaker, I think, is quite a nice move. Jarrett does it really crisply. Yeah. But also there's, there's a sequence where it's very telegraphed that the ref bump is coming because... Jarrett tells the ref where to go. <laughs> did, did you notice that at all? No, I didn't. Oh, I didn't basically, he kind of signals for him to basically move around. I'm gesturing that way, which is to the left. Yeah. Um, as I'm looking. And and yeah, the, the ref walks there and then, oh, shock horror, he's been bumped. Michael's taunts for sweet chin music, but Rhodey clips the knee. Jarrett goes to the top and hits a tremendous crossbody for a two count. Yeah. Again. It was a tremendous manoeuvre. Picture perfect. Jarrett makes some sort of signal pointing towards his foot to the roadie. wonder what that could be. Hmm. Jarrett then attempts to whip Michaels to the ropes. Michaels reverses and looking away, the roadie trips Jarrett, expecting Sean. Jarrett turns around and walks straight into Sweet Chin Music for the three at 20 minutes and one second. Sean celebrates and roadie and Jarrett are gone from the ring unceremoniously. Amazing match. Yeah, really good. Really, really good. Arguably the best singles match we've seen on pay-per-view since Brett and Owen. I'd agree with that, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. A really good example, I thought, of putting two guys of similar size with somewhat similar abilities, although arguably Michaels is far more talented. A babyface who is over, a heel who is over. They're put into a position where they can tell a good story over a good amount of time. I just thought it was very well executed. Um, starting to appreciate Jarrett a whole lot more. You know, some of the matches, even though there haven't been like brilliant matches with Razor, you get glimpses of some nice stuff. But yeah, I, I like the timing of this match. There were some great big spots in it. The story was nicely told. The ending was quite nice with the little kind of accidental trip up by road, the road. And I can see where that's going to go. Yeah. Or guess where that's going to go. Yeah, thought thought it was a really smartly booked, well-worked match. Adam? Yeah, I'll second that. Um, have we seen Jarrett do anything bad yet since we've watched this? I know there's been, there's been times where we've thought that's not very good. But the, the, the pile driver and elbow drop on the, that the kind kid, of the kid match, which wasn't like an awful little match, but it's that beat down at the end, which is just a little bit silly. I think he was one of those people who didn't really stand out until we first saw him against Razor, and it was kind yeah. of like, oh, okay, may, maybe he is. Well, I think decent. he's. I think he's ne- he's never been terrible, and he's kind of he's risen up, no. and, and this is sort of this is a real sort of peak. Well, this is Shawn Michaels at his absolute best. I know. We've mentioned it briefly, the dichotomy between Shawn Michaels, the irritating backstage prick, and Shawn Michaels, the in-ring performer. When you watch this Shawn Michaels, this is the Shawn Michaels you want to see, isn't it? Yeah. And probably the best Jeff Jarrett match you'll ever see. Yeah, it's really good. Really good. I perhaps wouldn't say it's an all-time classic, but it's definitely the best match we've seen this year, and better than Brett Hakushi. Yeah, for yeah, me it is. Yeah. If you're without the network and want to check it out, it's on the Shawn Michaels Heartbreak and Triumph DVD and also the Best of In Your House set. It's definitely worth seeing. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. Go out of your way to watch it, I would. Sean kisses that bird on the way out as well. Doc Hendricks is backstage acting like even more of a wanker than Todd Pettengill. That's an impressive feat. 
Vinny back. You won't believe what just happened, man. I was standing here, and Double J came back, and he was mad. And then the roadie came back, and he was mad. And Double J, he yelled at the roadie. Then the roadie yelled at him. And Double J pushed the roadie. Then the roadie pushed Double J. Then they got each other's face. And then the roadie, he, he hit Double J. He knocked him down on his keister, man. And then they went in his door. They won't let me in. You won't believe it. You will not believe the words coming out of their mouth. There is trouble in paradise. I'm telling you, many of these, they were at each other. I don't know what has happened. They have cut the cloth. I don't know, man. Back to you. I'll try to get more. I'll try. Oh, this was the most painful thing that I think I've seen. I've never seen that level of overacting before. This is what I was referring to when Doc first appeared about that this is the segment that just makes you want to punch him in the face. Mm. He's just, he's like had the idea that I'm just not going to even breathe in this. I'm just going to keep just spilling words out. But I, I honestly don't get where he's going with this in terms of his position of getting some information across to us as viewers, putting it in a serious way. It just makes it into a farce. Yeah. Um, Basically, his point is that Jarrett and the radio were mad at each other, but yeah, does it in such a way that you want to see him fuck off and never appear again. It's unbelievable to me. I don't know. So, immediately following this match, Jeff Jarrett and the roadie grabbed their bags, left the building and quit the company. Really? Yes. Because they had a good match? Um... (laughs) (laughs) Not even sticking around to film their post-match angle, which explains why we ended up with Doc Hendricks acting like a prick. So so that's it, like genuinely, literally packed their bags and went. Literally grabbed their bags, didn't get changed, I thought that was just an expression that they left after this pay-per-view. No, they left. Okay, right, with you. Yeah. There are a number of reasons for their departure. Firstly, they felt the angle breaking them up was premature, and they may have a point on this one, as they've only been together for six months on television, and apparently several WWF talents did go to bat for them on that one. Secondly, with house show business down, they were unhappy with their payoffs. And thirdly, Rhodey was drug tested before the show, and I think we can all guess how that would go, Mm. whether he passed that or not. A real shame to see them go, especially after the match we've just seen. But we will see both of them again before the end of the podcast. Also, slightly awkward for the WWF, as the main focus on television the entire last month has been Jarrett's music video, and this was clearly going to be a major angle for the summer. Obviously, it was Rhodey singing the track, which would lead to the team splitting and Rhodey turning babyface. Allegedly, I'm not sure if this is true or not, unless there's something being cut from the video, Vince did leave the announce table and march backstage to try and get them to film the angle, but to no avail. I can imagine him being pretty fucking pissed about this as, yeah, they've built the entire pay-per-view around it and the With My Baby Tonight video has been all over television. Yeah. It's a real shame because actually, and it's a shame about the kind of, you know, we can imagine what the drug test results might be for Road Dog. Yeah. But, um, you know, these are two guys that have had a hell of a pay-per-view. Yeah. You, like you, know, you say, slow and based, steady build. Based around them, you know, the Road Dog's performance was, was for somebody that's of little experience in the ring, decent to start off with. Jarrett's had an excellent match. The video angle went down brilliantly, as good as you can ever expect. Yeah. And then, and then to have that, it's a bit of a shock. It's a shame. Uh, I'm speechless. I honestly didn't know that. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's them gone. Because, well, I've not seen the stuff that comes after this until sort of like early parts of Attitude, and obviously they're both back in it then, aren't they? Yeah. So I was, I was just assuming that they were both still around for the duration. No, Jarrett's gone, then we'll be back, then we'll go again, then we'll be back. And that's when he's there for Attitude. rody has gone for about 15 months and then he's back and then here for good for Attitude. Mm, wow. So, yeah. Mm. Shame. Yeah. Our next match is 
For the WWF tag team titles, it's Owen Hart and Yokozuna versus the Allied Powers of the British Bulldog and Lex Luger. I'm not entirely sure what qualifies the Allied Powers for a tag team title match. Literally the only thing I've seen from them on television in months is a victory against Henry Godwin and Tatonka, who were teaming together for the first time on the July 10th Raw. But... I can see why they'd give them a shot. Yeah, they've they're both got decent standing, I would say. The Guns have had their run at the titles and bar Techno Team 2000. Who else are you going to do? <laughs> Owen and Yoko are out first to a somewhat muted reaction. The Allied Powers follow with kids waving flags for them and they get some fireworks. The, the colour scheme is great with, with the British and American flags. It, it, it is meant to be. They could add a third team member who was French and they wouldn't have to change the colour scheme. Yeah, I do like their get-up. It's good. And you know what? I quite like their mashed-up theme song. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. Way better than Rybaxel's. As is standard. Yoko waves the flag as is customary. And my question to Adam when we were watching this is, why isn't this a flag match? Because I thought you could have a Japanese flag on one corner, a Canadian flag on the other, an American on the third, and a British on the fourth. Yeah. And whichever team grabs their country's flags first wins. On a pole. Yeah. Well, it's a flag. flag. It's on a pole (laughs) by its very nature. Yeah. But yeah. On a flagpole match. They could have done that. Luger and Yoko start and we get some USA chants. They lock up and Yoko takes the advantage with clubs to the neck and punches in the corner. Does, does Lawler talk about something to do with ringing his taco bell in this match? Isn't that Savio Vega? <laughs> well, I've got the notes down in this match. He might be talking about Savio Vega, but, the, the you know, despicable. <laughs> a slam by Yoko, but he misses an elbow drop. Luger takes over, getting a 10 count from the crowd, ramming Yoko's face into the turnbuckle, though he does stop at eight. Yoko weebles and falls down, landing on Owen's foot. Owen stomps down the steps in anger, stomps back up the steps and gets into a shoving match with Yokozuna. Cornette calms things down. Yeah. I really like that. I like Fuji can't be bothered. <laughs> it was a little unable. bit of a comedy angle for the tag chat. It was really so. funny. Yeah. He sat on my foot. I'm very angry. I, I, I thought it was very good. It, with hilarious consequences. Well, they do hug it out. And then yeah, the, the, that do. got me thinking why we never got Owen Hart and Yokozuna in Dr. Shelby segments. Yeah. I, I'd watch that. <laughs> Owen is in and slaps Luke around the face before running to the ropes to get away from the angry American. He's so good at that wheezy little character, isn't he? He's is just a little shitbag. Yeah, yeah really, really good. Luger gets shoulder blocks, a hip toss and an arm drag before a tag to Davey. Here we go. Davey gets Owen in an arm ringer and Owen does his roll through kip up spot to take over. Davey boy copies with more flair to take back over. Owen backflips out of the move though and Davey tosses Owen up into the air for an awkward looking bump before monkey flipping his brother-in-law into the corner for a two. That that whole sequence, I mean, other than the, it was a slight botch really, it was a botch, yeah. but lovely bit of wrestling there I thought, kind of nice counters good work into they've obviously got a lot of chemistry working yeah, together absolutely really nice to see that little section and the match that was taped after the first in your house that we didn't see that did air on raw and that was really really good mm. i think it's interesting that despite the bulldog's like huge muscle mass he can still go he's fucking lithe and quick isn't he yes absolutely davy bounces off the ropes and gets clocked by yoko on the apron a tag to yokozuna who gets the nerve hold while luger looks on traumatized in the corner <laughs> Vince speculates that Davy and Luger may be a better tag team than Davy and the Dynamite Kid. Hmm. Not sure about that. Davy eventually powers up but walks into a Yokozuna clothesline. Owen tags in and hits a spinning heel kick. Davy counters an Irish whip with a sunset flip before Owen hits an Enziguri and takes a 270 bump. That's what I'd go for. Again, yeah. really nice. It doesn't look as if he should be able to take that kind of bump. A guy of his size. Yeah. Doing really well. It's like a massive guy doing a 619. Owen misses a charge into the corner and both men are down. 
Both make tags, and Luger is a house of mild heat on Yokozuna. They want to say a house of fire. Yeah. But it was warmer than is normal. I think Lex has taken it up a good two notches. Yeah, fair enough. for this match. Apart from the start. Luger crotches Owen on the top rope and slams him off. He then press slams Owen onto Yoko, and the powers hit double clotheslines on the champions. Luger covers Yoko for a two, broken up by Owen. Owen and Davy square off in the corner, and Yoko misses a charge, backing into a double back body drop by the powers and a cover by Luger. Really nice. It was impressive. Yeah, pretty impressive. That's a big dude they're lifting. Even though there's two of them, I'm impressed. Impressed is the word. Owen breaks up the pin off the top rope and knocks Davy Boy out of the ring. Yoko then leg drops Luger for the three at 10.54 and Cornette hands his charges the belt. Yeah, I thought the, the kind of there was a section where, just before the end, what was the ref doing in the corner with the bulldog? Trying to separate them, wasn't he, from Owen? See, I, but Owen was right over the other side. Okay. Yeah, I, for, for me, he was too far away. And basically, Lex had the chance to pin for the win. Yeah. The ref didn't see it. But there was, there was no reason. But it was just like... Was he trying to shoo him back to his corner? You need to go back onto the apron, mate. No, no, no. <sighs> well, I, th- I think so. But it was just... For, for me, that just bit didn't work because, okay. because of that, which was a shame because actually, bar the first uh, probably minute or so of this match, the rest of the match I thought was really quite good. Surprisingly good. Actually, I've not seen, as I said before, not seen a massive amount of the Bulldog. I was impressed by this. Yeah, this was really decent stuff, especially when Owen and Bulldog were in the ring against each other. Obviously, yeah. a great deal of chemistry there. And another good example of the correct way to use limited workers and hide them behind talented ones Yeah, in tag teams. Adam, your thoughts on this match? Yeah, yeah, very nice. Um, kind of mirror what you say, really. I think that Owen and the Bulldog do mask some of the problems with the other two. But I will also say a slightly positive point for Lex Luger that I do think that he did raise his game. Yeah, slightly for this. He, he's, he, he's working a bit harder. He's not up to the level of the bulldog, but he's he's kind of doing a bit. Definitely think, as you say, working around the limitations helped. He didn't have to be in there as long. He was more energetic. He was quicker. There was a bit more snap in his moves. I, I was uh, maybe maybe this is the right formula for these guys. I think the booking tonight, you know, with what they've had, has been pretty good. And I've said it before. Sensible. I really like the Owen Yokozuna combo. So you, you're happy with them keeping the belts, or would you have rather Bulldog and Luger won them? I'm happy with them keeping it. I just quite like the way that they work. I think it's the perfect way to use Yokozuna. Mm. I mean, I don't necessarily think that um, the Allied Powers particularly need the belts. I think because they've, I mean, obviously not the powers that they were, but they've still got the, the kind of the aura about them and the status yeah. that, that these are relatively main event type players, even though they're not in that slot at the minute. I know what you mean, yeah. Well, this is Lex's last WWF pay-per-view match. And it's probably the best we've seen of him. He yeah. saved the best for last. But we won't discuss his departure quite yet. We'll save that for another day. Okey-doke. He's not a lumberjack later either, so... Oh. Todd narrates a video package showing us the epic history between Diesel and Sid. Basically a time filler while all the lumberjacks enter. We see some more King of the Ring highlights, and can they not just let us forget this? <laughs> we get a camera <laughs> shot of the heel lumberjacks around the ring. And who's that slender chap with the big nose at ringside? Hmm. Oh, is that Triple H? Mantar moves while the camera goes past him as well, living his gimmick. Excellent. Good commitment. The face lumberjacks enter and we cut backstage to Todd and Diesel. You know something, Todd? I don't think Big Daddy Cool's had a problem with me running anywhere. You know? Well, welcome to the asylum, Sid. Welcome to Big Daddy Cool's world. Tonight, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. You've been talking. You've been starting this when you attacked Shawn Michaels. You carried out with Razor Ramon. Tonight, in your house, Big Daddy Cool, in your face. I finish this once and for all. 
So I'm going to ask, have you got a list of all the lumberjacks? I have, I'll go through it in a sec. Super. Diesel cuts another awkward talking into shouting promo where he sort of tenuously goes from something normal to shouting about something completely different. Yeah, still not like it. Still not a fan of these, Adam. No. Undertaker fans are at ringside again, which leads to our main event indeed, Diesel versus Sid for the WWF world title in a lumberjack match. This match was announced the night after King of the Ring on the 26th of June Raw in an In Your House segment presented by Todd Pettingill. On the July 10th Raw, Vince McMahon interviewed Sid and Ted DiBiase. DiBiase claimed that Sid wasn't in fact a coward after he left at the end of King of the Ring and was indeed the master and ruler of the world. DiBiase then introduced the best lumberjacks money can buy, 15 mid and lower card heels. Ted's promo included the immortal question, what are you going to do, Diesel, when you run into the crowd and the mantar chases you? <laughs> D- Diesel didn't answer it. I'm, I'm left wondering. Spot on. It, it was interesting that, that during the start of the match that the King talks about the combined mass of, of all the wrestlers, which is £4,838. Yep. Averaging out at about, or, or meaning, out at about £323 to three significant figures. Well, I suppose Mabel would skew the figures slightly. Yeah, it shows that they've got some bulk there. Truly a dilemma anyway, running away from Mantar. Sid then did some shouting. On the 17th of July Raw, Vince interviewed Diesel, who introduced his lumberjacks. Sid and his lumberjacks then made their way to the ring, leading to a stare down between champion and challenger after accusations that Sid was a chicken, although Sid wouldn't enter the ring. So, the lumberjacks for this match are... You ready? Yeah, be ready for me to say who. King Mabel. I know him. Sermo. I won't do it for everyone, it'll be tedious. IRS, Karma, King Kong Bundy, Tatonka, Henry Godwin, Rad Radford. Who? We'll cover him another time. Skip. Who? We'll cover him next month. Tom Pritchard, Jimmy Del Rey, Jacob Blue, Eli Blue, Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Who? We'll cover him at In Your House 3. Mantar, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Bam Bam Bigelow, Razor Ramon, Savio Vega, the 123 Kid, Man Mountain Rock, Adam Bomb, Bob Holly, Duke Drosy, Fatu, Billy Gunn, Bart Gunn, Techno Team 2000, Travis and Troy, and Shawn Michaels. The, who was the really small blonde one? In the blue singlet. I, I couldn't see. I, I, I kind of saw his head from a distance. It would be Skip, I imagine. Skip. Okay. So would you like to know who Techno Team 2000 are? Yes. Why not? Travis and Troy. They are Chad Travis Fortune and Eric Troy Watts, son of former wrestler and Mid-South promoter Cowboy Bill Watts. Eric Watts had previously wrestled for WCW and been on the receiving end of a handful of pushes, coincidentally whilst his father was WCW Booker. Mm. No nepotism there. Techno Team 2000 made their WWF debut on a Madison Square Garden house show on March the 19th, 1995, and their TV debut on the May 16th Superstars, defeating Barry Horowitz and the Brooklyn Brawler. Not long after this appearance, they were sent to the USWA to improve their skills. They would resurface in the WWF in May 1996, but would be released in the summer of 1996. Watts would later show up in TNA as part of a stable alongside David Flair and Brian Christopher, known as Genetic Disappointment. No, they were called (laughs) The Next Generation. While Fortune would sign with WCW and do nothing of note, apart from beating Goldberg in his first ever loss. What? Well, uh, it's credited by Goldberg himself in his autobiography. It must have been something in the power plant or some sort of dark, 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 dark match, as I can't find any record of it anywhere. Mm, He would later go on to be a monster truck driver. Wow. (laughs) 
Can I, can I ask, what is Techno Team 2000's gimmick? They're, they're from the year 2000, Adam. They're dressed they're, in tinfoil. They're, they're time travellers. And... Time travellers. We've travelled back in time five years to a time of really awful wrestling when we might just make the card. <laughs> and in five years' time, we'll all be wearing tinfoil. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's they bizarre. were. Maybe they were part of the Attitude Era and they travel back in time. Because with time travel, there's two different things. There's two different ways of time travelling. There's, Go on, there's. I want to hear this. There's the sort of version of time travel where you believe that you travel back within the same continuity. And that's true time travel. Then there's the other way where you can go back and change things, and but that's different universes and you're not going back to the same place you left. But maybe, yeah, they did come back to try and change something. But being as everything they know as history already happened, they can't go back and stop Mabel winning King of the Ring. So they're just there, sat, ineffectually doing nothing. Kind of stuck there in limbo, knowing, yeah. knowing what they want to change but not being able to change it. Yeah, exactly. So it's like me saying, I'm going to go back in time to kill Hitler, but what I can't do is kill hitler because i live in a history where hitler wasn't killed by me yeah so i could go back and i could attempt to kill hitler but i don't actually manage to do it maybe i actually stop him being killed or something to that effect or or maybe it could be like the world cup and maybe you could be like find the world cup like pickles the dog like pickles the dog (laughs) yeah so that's somewhat of an in-joke between us, isn't it? <laughs> Adam didn't know who Pickles the dog was and thought we were making up a story yeah. about... Sounds like a fucking Ad- joke. Adam thought we were making up the most convoluted story <laughs> About ever. a dog finding the World Cup. Yeah, just read about The World Cup was stolen and it was recovered by a dog named Pickles in a bush. <laughs> it does not sound like a true story. <laughs> but anyway, maybe Travis and Troy were actually really big in the Attitude Era and they just ended up travelling back through time <laughs> and just being rubbish. Uh, there's there's like a film in there somewhere back to the future or something i don't know (laughs) starring eric watts yeah sid enters to pretty much silence but but, see this is the thing it does allow you to hear that music which i quite like (laughs) advantage of not being over yeah (laughs) silver linings and all that diesel gets a slightly better reaction and enters with sean at his side they high five their lumberjacks adam bomb bam bam bigelow people like that and i can only imagine it goes something along the lines of high five killed your push high five killed yours do mate (laughs) you ain't going anywhere diesel enters the ring and sid attacks and they exchange fists sid goes to the outside and gets immediately tossed back in and diesel punches him back out and then immediately gets thrown back in by the lumberjacks again a body slammed by Diesel, and Sid goes out of the ring by his own choice into his friends. Mo pats him on the back and gives him a, it's all right, mate. Sid then chucks Diesel into the heel lumberjacks who lay in the boots to Diesel. They're, 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 they are heelish. They, they dig the heel in. Yep. Sean steals the spotlight, diving onto the heels, and a brawl erupts. The million-dollar team throw Diesel back in, and Sid gets a two. Mantar moves loudly on the outside. Help! A lumberjack there on Sid! Just constantly. I think he'll be too anxious to head back out there. Ready for this matchup, considering the elbow in. Down he goes. Yeah, that, that's a lot yeah. what it's like. But it's one of my best impressions to date. I've, I found it one of the most entertaining things about this match. Actually. Yeah, Just every, every, every now 10 and again, seconds. You yeah. hear a move from Manta. Fair play. Like, if you're given a really shit gimmick, it's like, you know what? I'm going to be the best fucking bull you've ever yeah. had. <laughs> It's that sort of investment I want from people. Yeah, yeah. We get some Diesel chants, which are slightly overdubbed with mooing. Sid works over Diesel, but I'm way more preoccupied with listening for more moos. Diesel lays on the ropes and gets some punches from the heel lumberjacks. Again, more moos. Diesel gets back to his feet and counters a Sid punch before taking him down with a clothesline and an elbow drop. 
and another. I'll forgive the elbow drop thing now as I guess he's trying to show, yeah, my elbow's better, it's fine, mate, fuck you. Yeah. Diesel, out of nowhere, dives over the top rope and takes out several of Sid's lumberjacks. Unexpected. It, w- it was very unexpected, but I'm a kind of okay with him doing this. It shows guts and you want to get at them. But also, it takes away from what's happening in the ring. Yeah. And, and this, presumably, is the whole point of booking this particular angle. Correct. In this particular match, because there is just no, no way. way they're going to have a good match in the ring. So the, the only decent action has got to take place on the outside. Yeah. And again, points for going outside of his comfort zone because in no fucking way have we seen Kevin Nash diving over the top rope before. Mm. He's got at least 10 people there to catch him in this. Yeah, case, which definitely know. helps. Back inside, Diesel lays Sid across the ropes and hits a boss man attack. Diesel then hits Snake Eyes, and I swear, and put this soundbite in, Duke Drosy shouts, How does that feel, dickface? You, you replayed that to us just before we started recording, and that is what he says. Yeah, it's, it does pretty much. I'm sound pretty like sure that. it's Duke Josie. It may be someone else. It's not Mantar because he's mooing. But yeah. <laughs> Diesel then attempts to bounce off the ropes, but Mabel grabs him by the feet and pulls him outside, crushing him against a ring post. Then a body slam and a neck killing leg drop. Next feud, anyone? Well, fair play for them to try and incorporate a logical next feud. Yeah, I don't yeah. like it, but yeah. the heel lumberjacks hold off Diesel's pals. Mabel slaps Diesel and rolls him back into the ring, and more Diesel chance is a good sign, really. Yeah, he's, he's more over here than he was last time we saw him, Yeah, I think. Moves and more moves. Sid covers Diesel for a two and then sets up a chin lock. Sid then goes for a powerbomb and hits a mildly competent one for a two count. It's not bad. Yep. You know, it's, it's pretty decent, really. Sid tries for another one, but Diesel backdrops him and the faces pound the mat. Sid, for no reason, then attacks the face lumberjacks and Sean goes to the top rope, diving off with an axe handle to Sid. I, I love this because it was a sort of, a, oh, hang on a minute. I'll best, I'll best get out there and kick someone in. It's oh, almost as if he remembered, shit, we need to do that spot before the, this match is finished. I yeah. don't like it. For me, that doesn't make sense at all. No, it didn't make no, any it didn't sense. No, it didn't make sense. But it, right. it, was just, it was the expression on Sid's face it was just one of just, oh, hang on a minute, I'll best go do this. <laughs> it's like, I'm a chicken. I've been scared to get in the ring and fight Diesel. I've been walking away from him. Oh, now here's loads of lumberjacks. I'll just attack them all. But he yeah. is a psycho. Yeah. There's your logic for it. The logic is illogic. But again, I suppose it's there to set up Sid versus Sean. So Sean can do his dive. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sid is back in the ring and IRS runs in but gets tossed over the top, as does Tatanka. Sid then walks into and mildly misses a big boot by Big Daddy Cool for the three at 10.06. Faces then enter the ring as Mabel claws at Diesel from the outside. Easily the best three of their matches. Not sure yeah. what that statement says, but easily well, I, the best of their three matches. I think we're right. The, the people are there to, you know, take away from the, the failings of having a one-on-one Sid-Diesel match, and you can't really fail. You've got an entire Royal Rumble's worth of people around the outside of the ring. It's got to be interesting in some capacity, hasn't it? For, for me, it's, it's interesting what you said because it was and it wasn't the best of the matches. Okay. It was the most entertaining in the fact that there was more going on to make it interesting. But I think the, the in-ring content is just dire. And I don't think that was any better than the other two. Yeah, but how much more dire would it have been if it was just them two for Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. But I don't think you could have had that match again. No, and thankfully we are not going to have that match again. <laughs> You're not going to be subject to that again. But bar Nash's dive to the outside, the entertainment in the match didn't really come from those two. Yeah, Sean made the two biggest spots of the match. And Mantar. And Mantar was mooing and Duke Drosy called Sid Dickface. So. Yeah. And I was just trying to look around to see where everyone was. Diesel gets a bit of pyro to close the show before the end. 
So last pay-per-view appearances. Here we go. Here's the comprehensive list. King Kong Bundy, Mantar, Man Mountain Rock, Adam Bomb, Techno Team 2000, who presumably just go off to explore 1995, <laughs> <laughs> and Jimmy Del Rey. What? Jimmy Del Rey, alongside Heavenly Bodies partner Tom Pritchard, would show up in late 1995 in ECW, being drawn into the Tommy Dreamer Raven feud. Hmm. He would then show up in WCW Sons Mustache and Mullet as Jimmy Graffiti in October 1996 and wrestle only a handful of matches, most notably competing in the 60-man three-ring battle royal at World War Three 1996. The what? 60-man three-ring battle royal. Wow. That sounds incredibly silly, yet I really want to see it. I watched Jimmy Graffiti versus Rey Mysterio, and it was actually pretty good. I could imagine it really would be. Del Rey would retire in 1997 and work as a trainer for Steve Skinner Kern. Wikipedia suggests he now operates a hardwood flooring company in Tampa, Florida, but cites no sources. We should try and track him down. Random speculation. I did look for him on Twitter as well, and there's a fake Jimmy Del Rey account, but it's only tweeted about five times about three years ago, so... Hmm. But, you know, if anybody has a method of getting in touch with them, say that, thank you, I've really enjoyed your work. Yeah, how, how do you feel about that? I, I do feel disappointed. I, th- I think, you know, at the start of the podcast, he had, you know, there was a match with the Steiners. That was cracking. It was a really good match. And I think any time we've seen him, he hasn't let anybody down. He's been quite a dependable worker. And to let him go in this drought of Talent. goodness... Yeah, it's yeah. It's a shame we never got a real run from the heavenly bodies on pay per view. Mm. Well, well, you know, if you look at, look around at the tag division at the minute, there's, there's not a lot going there. on. The, the cupboard is bare, as mm. Old Mother Hubbard would say. So, um, yeah, bye bye, Jimmy. With, well, well, actually, that that reminds me. Talk, talking about Jimmys that I like, <laughs> um, you know, you're not going to say Savile. No, I don't like Jimmy <laughs> Savile. He's definitely a heel. Um, <laughs> No, don't like Jimmy Savile. Jimmy Anderson. Jimmy Anderson yes. and Joe Root stand. Yeah, incredible. 198 runs, 11th wicket stand. It was quite remarkable. Lots of records based around tail ending. Or tail ending. That sounds like some kind of... <laughs> Sexual practice. It does sound like some kind of bad practice. Um, but yeah, there's some, some good records falling there in the Test match at Trent Bridge. Um, really impressive. But also, uh, I'm actually very noted for the wicket of um, Alistair Cook, the wicket that he took, not the wicket that he lost. Well, out. that's notable because he's shit at batting right now. He's not in. He's not in a patch of form. No. I imagine by the time that we see him at Old Trafford and centuries back to back. Yeah. By the by the time he's put another few poor performances in, we'll turn it around hopefully. But um, but yeah, really nice to see Cook taking wicket because on the old cricket games, one of my tactics when I was fielding was always to have a bowler with a big circle. So people like Strauss and Cook, and people who have played these cricket games will know exactly what I mean by that's the legitimate. Yeah, it's a, it's a legit ta- tactic because it's just unpredictable. But can we have a quick discussion on the best cricket game of all time, which is clearly Super International Cricket for the SNES? Absolutely right. Azat, not out. Azat. Basically, you can endlessly appeal for no reason. It's brilliant. Yeah. And there's a little bit of a cheat you can do in the game where you just bowl at people's feet and 90% of the time you'll get them out. And Paul found this out when we were playing and he bowled me all out for, I think, about 36. And I kept saying, don't bowl at me feet, mate. Don't bowl at me feet, mate. Don't bowl at me feet, mate. But he kept doing it and then he got me all out. I said, okay, then let's play this game, (laughs) shall we? 12 all out. Yeah. (laughs) Then it was agreed upon that we wouldn't bowl at each other's feet. The thing is, I mean, I am highly competitive. I'm going to go back to Jimmy Anderson, actually, because did he get 81 in the end? Yeah, 81. A smidgen more than my high score, which is 80. 
setting up the next big feud for SummerSlam. Yes. <laughs> Paul Scrivens versus Jimmy Anderson. Any big facts about the number 81? Um, it was a square number. It's always a good start. <laughs> so with this loss, the Million Dollar Corporation is now a whopping 0 and 11 on pay-per-view in 1995. Really? What a heel stable. Yeah. <laughs> Does it continue? Do they stay together? As Obviously, they've lost IRS, haven't they? The stable's pretty much together till the end of 1995, and then DiBiase gets a new wrestler at the start of 96, who's kind of on his own with. But yeah. Thoughts on this match? Poor. I can't really say a lot because the match really itself wasn't much to me. Without the lumberjacks, it would have been nothing. But but again, I thought this is another thing this pay per view did quite well with regards to Mabel in in being in the tag match and then Yoko and Luger. It takes the limitations of its workers and hides it well. It, it does, yeah. It, and overall, as a card, it was it was pretty well booked actually. Yeah. In matches taped after the main event, included on the home video release, but not on the pay-per-view, Bret Hart defeated Jean-Pierre Lafitte, and The Undertaker defeated Karma in a casket match. I actually quite like the way this show is formatted. We've got the title matches at the top, so we have our undercard, then we have our IC title match, we have our tag title match, we have our world title match. And I also, in a way, like that Bret and Taker are left off, in a way that you can overload a show with stars. So it's not like this is a three-hour pay-per-view. This is an hour and 50 minutes again. Yeah, You've got, in terms of baby faces, you've got Sean, who's over like a motherfucker. Diesel, who in this crowd was actually pretty over. And you've also got Razor on there, who's been a pretty big star. And the kid, who the crowd like in opening matches. So to kind of squeeze The Undertaker and Bret Hart into what probably would have ended up being like five, ten minute matches. No, I think you can leave those off. And and I'm kind of okay with this, with the In Your House series going forward, if that's what they do. You know, don't necessarily feature all the big stars on every single one of these because you're going to kind of lessen their value by putting them in mid-card matches that last five minutes. And I suppose people like um, Undertaker and Brett have already, they've got enough momentum with the crowd. Yeah. They don't need the additional matches put yeah, into it. Yeah. They, they, could, they could go off screen for a month and come back and still be massive. They don't yeah, need that. So, I mean, Sean didn't compete on the first in your house and obviously neither did Taker, but we had Brett and Diesel. So, yeah. you know, if you were to just have two of the big stars each show, yeah, maybe next time they would do Undertaker and Brett and Diesel and Sean would stay off the card. I'm not saying this is what they do, but yeah. I see the logic of doing it. Again, okay, you want them there for the big three-hour pay-per-view, so SummerSlam next month, yes, Brett and Taker are back on it. But again... The two-hour ones, I'm not, not sure you need them. Do you agree? Disagree? Actually, your, your logic pans out. I'm, I'm happy with that, actually. Good explanation. I should be booking something. NXT. That, that's what I want. Yeah. Well, that, so that, I'm going to send that, my CV off. That's being booked fairly well. But I think I could do it better. Well, if you should move you on to Raw. You could definitely do that better. <laughs> I actually think this was exactly the show we and the WWF needed post-King of the Ring 1995. It's not an all-time classic by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a fun hour and three quarters that breezes past and, like I've said across the show, uses the majority of its talent in the correct way and has a genuine Match of the Year candidate on it. Yeah. Thoughts on the pay-per-view overall? Solid, decent. I think there was nothing on there that I thought was abominable, even that the last match of Snowed Down, it was, it was entertaining it if only for the numbers involved. But still, it was entertaining in some way. Well, there's some of the stuff on King of the Ring was just not entertaining whatsoever. Yeah. This this had a decent crop of matches, and like I say that the IC match was brilliant. I think, and I quite like the tag match as well. Actually, mm. yeah, it was, it was a bit of an unsung hero that match. I think mm. um, overall, it, it was pretty good actually. I, I quite liked the card. If the main event was better, that would have taken it up to an excellent pay per view. But it was it was certainly very good and poles apart from King of the, King Ring. Of the Ring. 
Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe, yeah, if you left Diesel versus Sid off and put Brett versus Jean-Pierre Lafitte and had Sean and Jarrett in the main event, then maybe, yeah, it, it would be held in kind of higher regard. But mm. yeah, a fun show. And I've kind of read some reviews online. It's got some quite negative feedback. But Really? No, you know what? For the time, I think this is actually quite a spirited show with some good performances. Yeah. I think certainly going in the, in the right direction. And, you know, I didn't always agree with, with how it was kind of played out and how it was booked. But... I can understand the logic behind it. Yeah, like with the Mabel thing. Do I think he should be beating Razor Ramon? No, I do not. Is he about to face Diesel? Yes. Does it then make logical sense for him to beat Razor Ramon? Yes. Okay, fair enough. Whereas him winning King of the Ring, I couldn't logically defend in any way. Yeah. You couldn't logically squeeze into a smaller box like you were gesturing with your hands. <laughs> yeah, no, I couldn't do that. So let's wrap up then. Match of the night and MVP, Adam. It's a no-brainer really for match of the night. What, Sid? Yeah, it's the Sid Diesel <laughs> bam, bam, Henry Godwin. Yeah, Jeff Jarrett and Shawn Michaels was head and shoulders above everything else, I think. Really, really good. MVP, I'll give it to Jarrett, because not only was he in that match, but I thought the live musical performance was pretty slickly done as well. I thought that was pretty decent, so yeah. Yeah. Well deserved. Oh, definitely got to be the, the Jarrett HBK match and HBK for the MVP. I'll agree with you entirely. Match of the night, Sean versus Jarrett. Like I've said, genuine match of the year candidate. Maybe not an all-time classic, but definitely worth going out of your way to see if you've never seen it. Well, certainly for a pay-per-view of this kind of stature, you know, that's as good as much as you can realistically, I think, expect. Mm. It's not going to be like a mania-type match. Yeah, I'm not going to... I wouldn't say it was a lost classic, but I would put it in the hidden gem category. Yeah. And MVP, Mantar, for mooing his way through the main event. (laughs) No, Sean, obviously. I see your point about Jarrett Adam, but... This was, like I said earlier, Shawn Michaels at his absolute in-ring best. Yeah, really, really good. But like I say, I think Jared did the extra segment and we've seen a lot of really good stuff from Shawn Michaels over the pay-per-views that we've done. This is a, a clear standout moment for Jared. Yeah. So that's really my reasoning for it. And mullet of the night. A lot of offer, mainly due to the huge amounts of stars in the in the main event. But it goes to Jimmy Del Rey for oh, yes. having kind. for having refined his mullet slightly from the first time that we saw him. It was that against the Rock and Roll Express? Was that the that first? was against the Steiners? Yeah. The first time we saw him. So it's kind of it it slicked a little more and it's 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 pulled in and it is the last time we'll see him. So. Yeah, he felt it was time for him to get It that. was very nice to see, sort of, around the outside of the ring. I can't wait for that top trump. It's going to be difficult to find a picture, actually. I'm sure you can get one. Mm. But, but I do like your little series that you're doing, Adam. Oh, thank you very much. I think Out wrestling right. mullets. Yes. It's got some retweets from the owners of said mullets as well, hasn't it? It has, indeed. And, you know, a retweet from Ricky Morton um, today for, for putting up his stunning Classic. top trump. It may be the king of top trump cards, actually, Ricky Morton's mullet, because it was fucking amazing. So that just leaves me to wrap up the different ways you can find and contact us. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash newgenerationprojectpodcast. You can find us on Twitter at the slightly simpler New Gen Podcast. Having some real nice discussions on Twitter at the minute is a genuine highlight. I'm really enjoying some of the interactions. We're very lucky to have some just brilliant followers, some really nice people making some nice comments, some very funny, witty observations. It's good fun at the minute. Thank you. We are on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash newgenpodcast. And you can also find us on Stitcher Radio if you search for us there. We are on piledriverwrestling.net. All of our episodes go up on there as soon as they are released. And we are currently posting our back catalogue on Botchamania. King of the Ring 1994 just went up this past week. And I kind of think, looking back on it, that's the point where we kind of got our formula good. Do you feel? Yeah, that's when we started to settle in. Obviously, this is 
to, to some extent, it's still a learning curve, but... Um... I think we kind of nailed what we were looking at doing by King of the Ring 1994, yeah. and our, my editing had definitely got a bit better, and the, the quality of the clips and stuff had got better, so... Yeah, definitely worth an episode worth checking out, if just for Art Donovan's commentary. As ever, you can rate, review, subscribe in iTunes. And again, we've had some really nice reviews on iTunes and on Podbay, which Paul alerted me to as well. Some really, really nice reviews. Although, who is the person who thinks we're from Wales? Yeah, that is odd. I don't think any of us sound particularly Welsh. No, me neither. Oh, hi. Yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm from the valley. That was slightly better, but the first one was just not Welsh at all. What about you? What? <laughs> this episode was brought to you by IcoPro. Oh, uh, wait, that's not a thing anymore either, is it? <laughs> episode 17 will be SummerSlam 1995. Looking forward to seeing Mabel main event pay-per-view, lads. No. Can't wait. When, when do our episodes come out? Do they come out on a particular day of the week? Generally every other Wednesday, yes. Every other Wednesday? That's the date that I'm going to stick in my mind then. Every other Wednesday. Every other Wednesday. Every other Wednesday, Adam. Every other Wednesday. Every other Wednesday. So not every Wednesday. But every other Wednesday. Every other Wednesday. Listen out for it. My name's Stuart Brooks. Goodbye. I'm Adam Watch. Goodbye. I'm sorry. Goodbye. I'm at Yes Paul Scrivens. From Parson, no, she had a thirst for fluids. She studied Lucha, Ace and Martin's college. That's where I caught her eye. I apologised. She showed me her dad what was loaded. I said, in that case, I'd rum and coke her. In 30 seconds' time, she said. I want to live like common people I want to do whatever common people do I want to sleep with common people I want to sleep with common people like you I didn't take it as a slur, it was fine Could I do? I said I'll see what I can do Took it to a Royal Rumble I don't know why, but it had to start somewhere. So it started there. The route to WrestleMania, baby. Said, pretend you've got no money. She just laughed and said, oh, you're so funny. I said, yeah. In a good way, I asked. See anyone else smiling here? Are you sure? You want to live like common people. You want to see whatever common people see I want to sleep with common people You want to sleep with common people like me She didn't understand You're fine